I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. This is episode 215, our final episode of the year, and in it, Graham McMillan and I present our best-of list for 2016, as well as a most okay list and a list of the books that I personally most regret not reading. Join us for two and a half hours as we talk The Flintstones, Digital Manga Services, 2000 AD, The Untitled Trilogy by Tom King, the 2016 Gwenpool Holiday Special, We Told You So, Comics is Art, and oh so very much more. Show notes with purchasing links are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Oh, and happy holidays. Jeff Lesser! Graham McMillan, hello! How the Christmassy seasonal devil are you, Jeff? You know, I have to say, uh, I'm slowly, slowly getting the Christmas spirit, which is, um, which is great, because it's that's only a week away. For you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have the Christmas spirit, and it's killing me. Oh, it's really? It's killing me inside. Why? What the? I mean, I, I'm, I, d- I'm just too busy. To be perfectly honest, uh, as as you know, because I've said it off the podcast, and I don't think I've said it on the podcast, um, we're having to paint the basement mm-hmm. uh, in order for things to happen to close out the basement project. Which means we're not working to our schedule anymore. We're working to someone else's. Mm. Which has, which means, in a practical sense, if I'm not doing the job that pays me money, I'm painting. Wow, that's it and that's been my life for like a month and a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I have not had the luxury of feeling Christmassy, and it's, it's. You know how much I love Christmas. Oh, indeed, indeed. It's sort of terrifying that you're not, um, you're not, you're, you're not doing the Christmas thing. I think. Yeah, it, it's really sad. Like every day, I kind of get, feel that a little bit sadder about it. Mm-hmm. You I'm, guys are keeping up with the Godiva Advent calendar, however. I hope. Well, of course. <laughs> uh, I say that even though I forgot to open yesterday's until this morning. Wow. But it's just, it's just, it's nonstop, Jeff. It's mm-hmm. nonstop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't quite know. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'm not, it's, yeah, it's, I don't have a ton. In fact, but it was just yesterday. I was like, oh crap, we haven't played a Charlie Brown Christmas yet. So that's kind of like our, but we have our little, we have our Christmas tree up, but our Christmas tree is literally a plug-in USB thing that changes colors every, you know, <laughs> 10 seconds and is oh, maybe. Oh, the saddest a, Christmas ever. Uh, it's, no, it's, we love it. It's just, we've, but it is, it's six inches tall and we've done that year in and year out. And I, I keep thinking like one of these years we're going to get a real tree, but. Um, no, you're not. Yeah, who knows? We probably won't. But that being said, like, we have, like, a little wreath up on our door that uh, Edie decorated with lights. And we're, like, the only people, I think, in the building who have anything like that. And our street is very unchristmassy. Like, the next street over, I've been meaning to walk over there because, like, last year, for example, people strung lights uh, kind of from one side of the street to the next, and there were a bunch of buildings that did stuff. Um, but I kind of have this sneaking suspicion that if ever there was a year where the Christmas spirit is um, hard to 
wrap your head around, it's right? this year. It's this one, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's so bad that every year, I think I've told you this in the past, there's a street called Peacock Lane in Portland, which <laughs> even the name sounds like fictitious. I, I know, it's so field. on the nose. That is that, great. Uh, that, that prides itself on its Christmas decorations. Like, everyone on the street, this is actually something you've got to agree to before you're allowed to buy a house in this fucking street. What? Really? Yeah, really. I'm not joking. Um, and they're so hardcore about it that for three nights in December, they actually close down all traffic so that pedestrians can walk up and down the street. And they have carolers outside, and they have people selling, like, hot chocolate and stuff. Wow. I mean, it's really hardcore. That is hardcore. Uh, and I, I haven't had a chance to do that this year either. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Graham, that's terrible. Are you guys gonna? You guys should do that on Christmas Eve. Like, totally, just clear the decks and just have a Christmas—the most Christmassy fucking Christmas Eve that you can have. I am not being sarcastic when I tell you that I think we're probably going to be working on the basement Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Oh, for God's sakes! Are you serious? No, really, oh, really Graham, uh, really seriously? Uh, just because, like, we have. We have specific deadlines that are like the 27th. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Graham McMillan, Christmas sellout, describing his plans for the holiday. <laughs> exactly. It's the, it's the saddest Christmas. It's this year is the saddest Christmas. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just, it's really rough. I mean, I've talked to you off podcasts before about how just the, the lack of stopping Yes. It's really rough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's particularly rough when it's like, you know, this is this is normally my my season. This is normally the time where I'm just like, exactly. yeah, it's Christmas, fucking everything. It's Christmas. Have you seen the light? It's Christmas. It's Christmas, everyone. <laughs> and yeah, I've had chance for none of that. You guys, it's just, it's shocking. I would think that, I mean, I don't know, because of course we have talked about just how crazy and tough your season is. But I swear to God, last time we talked, I kind of got this the this like, oh, but it's coming to a head or it's ending soon or you know or what it was was maybe yeah but 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 ending soon means like the 27th which is which is soon it's literally like a week and a half away yes yeah um but it yeah but it's it's not soon enough put it that way Mm. yeah for sure that's that's not nearly soon enough Wow. Wow. Well, that's a bummer. I mean, see, this is the thing. When a Christmas guy like you is just like, you don't have the holiday. The thing is, is for me, I'm like, eh, we got our Christmas plans, you know, and our, uh, since our Christmas is so scaled down, like seriously, it's like, listen to one album, plug in one USB giga, you know, and we're 90% of the way there. You know, we've got our stockings hung. We just, wait, wait. So what, what's your album? Oh, it's a uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, I thought you were talking about putting on the cartoon. Oh no 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 no. No, I mean the 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 cartoon is fine, but it's but it's the album is the one that we both really. You're like, is, give, give me some Vince Guaraldi. Is what yeah, you're exactly, exactly. So it just it it does it for us for for the holidays. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's been it's been really. That's it this week. Mm-hmm. Mince pies. So it's not a total loss. I'm sorry. What happened? Who with what? 
mince pies. Oh, also, mince are, pies. Do, you, do you have a terrible connection? Because I like you're coming in and out really badly to me right now. Oh shit! No, you sound fine. I just for some reason might have been toggling something, and all I heard was spies. So I was like, "What's this spies. about spies?" Yeah, spies. No, 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 no. Mince pies. Mince right. pies is what I had, and you know, you can't have a Christmas season without mince pies. Mm-hmm. Or if you if you are, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Seriously, it's not even the pies; it's the fucking mincemeat. I would eat that mincemeat out of a jar. And to be honest, before this season is over, I may be eating that mincemeat out of a fucking jar. But I love mince pies. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, actually, we did some. We I think we have a new Christmas tradition that we did today. So maybe that's why I'm feeling more Christmassy. Um, there was one year, like four or five years ago, where uh, Edie's cousin gave us basically. Um, her cousin is, God bless him, uh, kind of lazy when it comes to shopping for other people. And so one year, it, I take it back when I say, come to think of it, he moved out of the neighborhood like six years ago. So it must have been like six or seven years ago. He got us, he walked from his house to the expensive supermarket, like two blocks away, and then just bought us food. So, and one of the things that he got us... Did he get you, like, good food, at least? Well, it's 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 a shishi supermarket, so it wasn't... Okay, so it's not it's not just, like, Doritos. No, go, no, no. No, like, it wasn't that. Hey, here here's, like, some Doritos and, you know... Yeah. Some dip. Yeah, no, but it was kind of like, hey, here's a can of uh, expensive... A tin of expensive oysters and... I don't know, something else that was like, you know, a couple of chocolate lint balls. But the big deal was he got us a jar of um, of these uh, rum balls. They're basically like Turkish. They're, they're babas al rum, I guess is what they're called. And they are like little sponge cake things that just float in a rummy brine. And you just throw that one on your mouth and you're, it, it goes numb. And warm I, I in the that best way to, possible. Oh, I, when you said rum balls, I thought you were talking about what, it, for me at least, was called a rum truffle when I was a kid, mm-hmm. which was essentially like crushed up um, cookie and some rum essence and uh, sprinkles, chocolate sprinkles. Huh. And you, you just make them into small balls. And they, they were – they're delicious. Mm. But, I mean, also, it's like chocolate cho- crushed up cookie and rum. Right. You know? Yeah. How can you go wrong? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, the Babasal room, uh, we we took them down with us to Half Moon Bay for our, our Christmas in Half Moon Bay. And I, we both had just the best memories of those things. They were so good. And then afterwards, we were like pouring the rum syrup, I think, on our ice cream or something. And it was thoroughly decadent <laughs> and awesome. And then, and then they stopped. They only carried it that one year. And... Uh, we just kind of kept searching for them, but we had, didn't keep the jar. We didn't have the name and blah, blah, blah. Somehow, I don't remember this. The sad part is you think I would remember this story since it's starring me. But somehow I contrived to search for them on the Internet and finally found them. And then Edie figured out where we could find them. Uh, la- so last year we went to this Italian deli uh, 
which is just a, an insane zoo every holiday season. Last year we went like practically on Christmas Eve and there was a, like a line out the door and you had to take a number and everyone jammed into what's normally a tiny little uh, deli slash supermarket. And there tucked among the shelves were the Babasaw Room. And very exciting for me, um, Havana Alpha Horrors from, uh, from Buenos Aires, which during our month uh, – in uh, Buenos Aires, I fell in love with those things. They are just like amazing. They're like God's hostess ding dongs, essentially. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say God's ding dongs, and I just leave it yeah, at that. Yeah, I, I no, you know, I think you I had know to someone qualify. Else take that the wrong way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, um, so this year I was like, oh, we got to have these because we are. We're going down to Half Moon Bay again. We're going to spend a few nights in a lovely hotel. Um, with a fireplace, which will be great. And we can put up our little stockings and, uh, then walk on the beach during the day and stuff. The, the only catch is, is that during Christmas day, it's just naturally enough. It's impossible to get food. So you have to stockpile your food. Like the first, I, I want to say like the first there's year. There's nothing open on Christmas day? Not, not in the immediate Half Moon Bay area. Like one year when we were down there, we ended up like, Moss Beach Distillery was open, which is this like, it's, it's out on the rocks in Moss Beach. It's supposedly haunted by a ghost. I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Um, either that or I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about being haunted by ghosts. But, um, and it was okay. You know, it's like a bar and grill that you're eating at on Christmas and that can be kind of depressing. On the other hand, the first half of Christmas day where we were basically eating like, half a bag of leftover Doritos from the convenience store across the street was... Yeah, that doesn't sound depressing at all. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't depressing. It was just a little grim. It was a little... You know me. I've got my issues with cannibalism, and I'm just like, I can't be in a, 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 such a precarious position, you know? Next thing I know, I've passed out, and then my leg's gone, you know? So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, the Babasaw Room. So, we went... Uh, and I was like, it was great because last time, literally, we'd been there on like Christmas Eve or something. It was all just people, these uh, families who just come in and order because the this Italian deli is known for all their amazing meats, but also their sauces and things. Like people just go and in in it's where families go to basically buy their entire holiday meal, basically. And I was like, ah, this is a week away. It's not going to be a problem at all. And, of course, it was a horror show. So, but I walked out of it with God's ding-dongs and some uh, some rum balls. This makes me sound like Christmas is one big genital fixation for me. But uh, but it was very exciting, I have to say. But who who is it not one big genital fixation for? Let's <laughs> be honest. Wait, wait, who, which, what? What did you say? <laughs> I was saying it's it's that for everyone, Jeff. Oh, okay. I I I, I thought you were I, trying I, to I say that to every holiday better. was. I that's it's very kind of you, Graham. I have to say, I I sort of, it's it's normally you just throw me to the wolves. So I, I guess I wasn't expecting that that mercy move from it's you. It's the joys of the season, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, you know what else is the joys of the season? Trying to come up with a best of list for comic books when I barely <laughs> read any comic books from this year. Like, oh man! So I I made my ten based on what I talked to you about last episode. For mm-hmm. I actually made ten for Wired, and then ended up only uh, doing a, a top five. 
So I may end up doing a top 10 for, for Hollywood Reporter at some point. I think, thank God the great thing is everyone who listens to this podcast knows that A, my shit does not, um, is not recent. Uh, it's not limited to 10. And this year I really did, I made a, a list, like I actually had a list of the best and I'm surprised by how long that list was, but my, I'm really proud of my, the most okay of 2016 list that I made that I thought, that, I thought that was a good list. <laughs> okay. Give me, give me your list. Or no, I'll give you my list super quickly and then we can talk through your list because I'm sure you've thought about things I forgot. No, I don't know about that, but let, but let's hear about your list and let's, let's, let's talk. It okay. Through. Really, I was going to go through this very quickly. So my list of 10 is mm-hmm. technically a list of 12. Go with me in this. Flintstones, right. which you know I love. Mm-hmm. Giant Days, mm-hmm. which everyone loves. Rolling Blackouts, the Sarah Glidden book from Drawn and Quarterly. Mm-hmm. Um, I cheated and put Tom King's untitled trilogy, which is Omega Men, Sheriff of Babylon, and The Vision, mm-hmm. which he's referred to as a trilogy as well, and it's kind of a cheat. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Doom Patrol, uh, Jason Shiga's Demon, Hot Dog Taste Test, the second Lisa Hannibal book. Oh, good. I'm so glad you remembered that because you didn't mention it last week. And when I was scrolling through our show notes, I'm like, ah, that's the one. So, okay. Panther, the Brecht Evans drawn a quarterly book. Mm-hmm. And Wicked and Divine from Image Comics. Mm. So that's my, that's my official 10. That's a good list. But then, then I've got uh, two honorables. One, comics is art. We told you so. Mm-hmm. The, the Fantagraphics oral history. Mm-hmm. Which is great, but it's not actually a comic. Mm-hmm. But it's it's great, and it should definitely be mentioned on like everyone's you know best books of the year thing because it's really really good. And anyone who has like an interest in comic history or comic culture history, it's it's really a must read. It's it's such a good book. And my second honorable mention is basically the DC line in general. That it, it, I, I came of, I came a cropper with this because I was like, I think DC's had a great year in terms of turning its line around. Mm-hmm. Like a genuinely amazing year. Um, but I'm not sure I can pick out like, this is the best series or this is the flagship series from it mm-hmm. at all. It's like there's a general just quality that, that all of the book or the majority of the books have mm-hmm. of just like, oh, they finally sorted their shit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the point of, I got sent the first issue of Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And it's really surprisingly strong. Hmm. Like for, for something that is, let's be honest, a gimmicky as shit series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first issue is great. Hmm. It, it's totally a, like, you know, the opening sequence from a movie. Right. Very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. But it works very, very well. It's been spoiled by all the promotion. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, like genuinely been spoiled by it because the end is the reveal of the bad guys who are literally part of the promotion of the comic and have a, an eight page fold out fucking poster in the weeks before comics. Ah, that's so funny. I, I ha- it, it, which is great because when you look at it, um, since I have a digital subscription to Suicide Squad, I got this week's Suicide Squad and, but digitally, that eight page fold out is a hilariously small. I was gonna say illegible. Yeah, basically, and and I was trying to like, um, you know, pinch to enlarge, and I was having the worst luck. I'm like, wow, this is great. It's it's actually like looking at um, a very colorful uh, tongue depressor. You know, it's just ridiculous <laughs> the the way that they kind of botch that. So, so it's very funny. But um, 
Uh, but no, it's, it's a really solid first issue. Mm-hmm. And manages to, uh, manages to make the Max Lord character who, it's just such a weirdly problematic character in of his history in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, manages to make him seem like a credible threat. Hmm. And you're like, oh, and it does it without like winking at the audience going, you get it? It's the guy from Justice League. You get it? <laughs> well, that's probably smart because who knows at this point, maybe half the readership is like, I don't, is that, isn't that the guy who like Wonder Woman broke his neck? Right, if or, or lucky. Isn't, that, isn't that the guy who uh, Blue Beetle shot Blue Beetle? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And there's actually a very strong implication in this first issue. Spoilers, kind of, because it's an implication that I think I'm misreading. Mm-hmm. But um, there seems to be an implication that it's actually that Max Lord, mm-hmm. and like not the whatever the the New Fifty Two or Rebirth Max Lord would be. There's a really odd shot and a really odd comment. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, is this actually like in the same way that like Superman is supposed to have come from like the old universe? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this Max Lord is as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. By which I mean, that would be hard for me to kind of take maybe, but... Yeah, that is it's so weird if that's the, the, the direction they're going in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So weird. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a surprisingly good book. But yeah, so, so Rebirth as a whole, and mm-hmm. like the DC line as a whole, cause I think Young Animal fits in there as well. I think Vertigo is looking pretty strong in a, a really unusual way. The Hannah Barbera books are, with the exception of Baki Raceland, which has been cancelled, like, much stronger than they deserve to be. Like, DC's had a really weirdly strong year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, See, I that, agree. That's my 10, which is really 12, or however many if you had in the DC line as a whole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, interesting. Especially with that last one, where it's like kind of all-encompassing, you know. Right. Well, I will tell you that um, I we have a number of items in common on the list. Uh, Flintstones, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, uh, Jason Shiga's Demon, uh, and what was what was the other one? I wrote them down while you were running through. I'm them. sure Tom King's like there's something from Tom King's ended up in. Your oh list. yeah, and the Tom King's the Vision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that got folded. Did in you there. did you read Share from Babylon? Yeah, yeah, and in fact, um, I think a couple of the um, couple of the issues of Sheriff of Babylon, especially that issue where they get drunk uh, by the empty swimming pool, was I thought a phenomenal issue. I just weirdly fell behind. On it, um, and I think there's a number of books that I am, I'm really kind of. This year has been tough for me in a lot of years, in, in a lot of ways. You know, I got rid of all of my comics, um, and I have a small pile of of uh, floppies that I'm just not. I ha- I've been really loath to pick them up. I'll just go to the iPad and pick it up, and I'll, I'll reread. I'll reread new stuff if I've got it digitally. Um, or otherwise I'll just read the stuff that I've picked up. So I'm not really that interested in keeping up with the Joneses. It's got to be pretty compelling, you know. Sure, even, sure, yeah. And in fact, I'll, I'll get to that because one of the things that I'm actually most proud of, apart from the most okay list, is the list of, the, of titles that I most regret not reading. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm very curious to hear that. Um, the reason I was asking about Sheriff is Sheriff is done. Sheriff is finished. 
Oh, I thought isn't he coming back for a season? Yeah, two it's, it's coming back this, with the second series, right. which may or may not be in Babylon because of what happens at the end of the first series. Mm-hmm. Like, did you make it to the end of the first series? No, I think I made it to issue eight or nine of the series. Okay, so yeah, it go goes, through goes, twelve or something. Yeah, it goes through twelve, and it's uh, it has a great ending, which simultaneously ties into and reinforces and ties up the loose ends from the first issue, mm-hmm. and blows up the premise to the point where I'm like, I really don't know where he's going in the second series. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and it, and it just it comes together really well. I, I think it I think it really he really sticks the landing on, on Sheriff. Hmm. But you still haven't made it to the end of Vision, huh? No, I have now. I had not last week, but then I, 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 it's the few things. You know, I read this week, Jeff. I read Vision, Micronauts, the New Voyages, wow. and Lesbian Star Wars comics. Wow. Great, great week for me. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I gotta say, I don't necessarily, I don't think I had a particularly strong week either. Uh, I mean, I can tell you everything that I read. Oh, you know, one thing that didn't, well, we'll get there. I, I, it, it'll, it'll end up in my most okay, but I should. Uh... No, no, okay. So give me your, give me your top plan. Give me okay. your, your best books. All right. So, uh, should I just give you like a good chunk of the list, basically? First off, let yeah. me give it, let me give a, a special shout out. I think that, uh, um, since I am kind of like digital dude, uh, even more so now than the last few years. Let me give a shout out to Marvel Unlimited, which I I have voted as the most improved digital service uh, because really yeah, dude, do you remember last year they were there were there were weeks where it was maybe fourteen books would get come I, out okay yeah in the last couple of weeks or last month or so I feel they definitely putting more stuff on there but in terms of like most improved digital service. I, that still crashes on me after three books. Well, yeah, but it's. I, I, I think I think that you are either using an underpowered brow, you know, tablet. Um, but I, I, for me, I definitely am talking about. I guess the selection. That being said, it is far more robust on my iPad now than it's been, um, ever. Like it's just continued to get better and better for me uh, all all the time. And let's see here, where the heck? Um, oh no, I would agree. It's an amazing resource, and yeah. they have been putting like recently as well. They've been putting some really odd stuff on there. You can tell they're gearing up for the second Guardians film because they're like every fucking appearance of Star Lord. Well, yeah, but also like here's some random issues of Marvel too. <laughs> they team up, right? I mean, random issues of Marvel team up. They dropped. 30 issues of Werewolf by Night while I was out on the cruise around Halloween and came back and was like, holy shit, you know, that was crazy. They, I, there's just been a lot more older stuff that they dropped. They got, they have issues of Power Man and Iron Fist that are still, I think, beyond what's currently available to buy digitally or even the, the collection that's come out. They dropped, you know, Ladron issues of Cable on there. Um, uh, but only the start, only the first few ones, really no, annoyingly. I know. It, it, that is painful, but still, like, kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I just, a lot of, just a lot more stuff. The the previous year, I remember, like, the service was killing me because it was only new stuff. 
then it would be occasionally like them dumping a bunch of like X-Men or Hulk issues to kind of fill in some blanks. And then they dumped a whole bunch of Star Wars, you know, the Dark Horse Star Wars stuff pretty much through the rest of the year, which makes sense. But this yeah. year it's just been for me a lot more of the 70s stuff, a lot more weird stuff. You know, the, there's a, you know, while keeping current with some of the current stuff, that is actually more things that I wanted to read. So for me, yeah, for selection alone, I totally get that is your service. It does, it, you know, it may not totally work for you. They got two, they've got two of the giant size supervillain team ups and then they added giant size Avengers issue to this. You know, there's like, I, I think almost all of the Gerber defenders on there now, like, I, of, I'm one, I'm wondering if they're trying to get all of Defenders up uh, in mm-hmm. advance of the, the TV show. I think so, and that would be hilarious, yes. right. seeing as it has nothing to do with the TV show. No, exactly. So it's just name recognition to drag things in. But you know, they added a lot of the Luke Cage. Really, as as I complained about, a lot of the stuff that I turned around and bought during various Marvel Bogo sales, they turned around and dumped on the service. So I, I think that I think that. Uh, you know, a year or two years ago, particularly last year, I was kind of like, ah, this could have been so much better. So for me, for the selection, the, the, I've had a lot better luck with it, both not crashing and also not locking up on me beyond that three issue limit that you've talked about. It's been a big, big jump up. And then the digital service that was the most in decline, uh, for me is Crunchyroll manga, which breaks my heart because, that service was my service for, for reading manga up until they claimed that it was because of some update with the iPad or whatever, but it literally has not worked on the iPad for six months, maybe eight months, which is astonishingly poor. Now, the majority of Crunchyroll people get a subscription and they use that to watch anime to have it streamed to their devices but uh and at one point it used to be that the the manga subscription was separate and then they sort of folded those in at least at one level so so it's it's hard because i've it's not a big priority for crunchyroll i actually have written them to the customer service to complain like literally six months apart and they're like yeah it's really it's terrible but there's not anything we can do apples being weird and i'm like kind of fuck you guys like you should not even have because it's a separate the the manga app is a separate app in the app store i'm like somebody should fucking pull this thing because it the weirdly enough as far as i can tell the problem is how it handles logins because if you uninstall the app you can actually browse and open things once you log on then none of then the app just crashes out which is hilarious because of course when you're not logged on all you can do is maybe read like a sample chapter or two so it's unbelievably super fucked um and really one of the things that is that and me being too busy to make it to the library has really kicked um my legs out from underneath me uh as far as manga reading goes and it it really does it it breaks my that's, heart that's yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of a shame, because I know that was a particular, I was going to say thrill, which is maybe an overstatement, but it, it was something that you, was really important to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, 
all of a sudden not being able to do it because of A, shitty app, and B, just having no time with your new job mm-hmm. is, is, is really horrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, that, that's the thing that hurts. I spent a lot of years having uh, – a lot of time this year having kind of a, a phantom limb syndrome for, for manga, just kind of aching for it. And some of the stuff that I've, I read, like uh, I was still reading High School Debut at the beginning of the year, which I adored. Um, you know, there's been a few volumes of my love story, which I am behind on. And, uh, what's the one, is it my neighbor Seki or my classmate? Jeez, the, it's, I can never remember the title of it. Um, yeah, no, it is my neighbor Seki, uh, Sakai, which is a, which is a really fun little gag manga that I know that I've talked about, about a, um, two students in class and Seki is the kid who goofs off at his desk, but each episode involves him goofing off by creating some new intricate way to completely screw off during class, like building a miniature train track on his desk and then proceeding to, he's all, he's a big fan of disasters. So he'll like, push in his, you know, take build a little family of innocent dolls and take turns like pushing them in the way of the tracks and stuff. And meanwhile, his horrified classmate, who is the perfect student, she is always trying to ignore him and get her work done, but inevitably gets dragged into his narratives and emotionally involved and um, usually ends up at war with him over whatever she feels is his inappropriate behavior. So amazing how many volumes it is and still incredibly enjoyable to me but that's that's it that, that is amazing because that sounds like a very limited formula well i mean that's the thing though i kind of do love limited formula stuff like you know the whole you really do yeah you love stuff that where like the parameters are very narrow mm-hmm. and it's all about how far can we take this incredibly limited premise yeah exactly i am i'm a big sucker for that and that and and so it also, of course, it, it, because it really is, it's, it's where people are the most inventive. And as you know, I'm sort of, since I'm my strong formalist leanings, watching people actually restrict themselves that way, yeah. they have to get yeah. super inventive. Um, but, I, uh, but also, even when it's bad, it's instructive. Oh, for sure. You know I mean, like, like yeah. when you, you, when you are placed under such restrictions, mm-hmm. an episode where you don't enjoy yourself, can be as rewarding as an episode where you do. Yes, unless because we're talking people... about the first issue of Champions by Mark Wade and Humberto Ramos, which <laughs> which I got more or less in the mail today. And I was like, oh, I'll read this And before we talked. And I was like, the first issue of this, like I was impressed at how much I walked out of this being like, let's, I think it's time. I think it's time. I think it's time to smother the Marvel Universe with a pillow. Basically, you know, and weirdly, weirdly enough, I had been reading earlier today the latest issue, Deathstroke uh, issue eight, which is Deathstroke versus Superman by, you know, Priest and Larry Hama and whoever might be doing the art uh, this week. And I um, I had this kind of like I was annoyed by it in a lot of ways. And I just had that thing of like, oh, my God, like. Superman, like the, like, follow with me, Graham, because I know you will agree with one of these statements, but probably not both, <laughs> is 
A, I feel one of the biggest problems that DC has with Superman is, is that since Superman stands for something, any issue in which he appears or guest appears um, is usually the person being like, hey, man, you may stand for like truth, justice in the American way, but what's so truthful about justice when American don't spell way correctly, you know, or whatever. And yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, 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 let's bring the character in so I can make my point. Yeah, I can make my point. This, so, and it's this idea of like, on the one hand, the thing that sort of became uh, Superman's biggest strength is like, he is tied up with this vision of America, really can make it hard to get to the fucking character. Um, it, particularly because again, everyone's got their point. Everyone's like, oh, well, this is, once you put Superman in like a Deathstroke comic, you have to have Deathstroke stand in opposition to it and or be, you know, quote unquote clever about it. And this, the problem with Marvel is they have turned the Marvel universe basically into Superman. You know, it is impossible for them to have a comic uh, about a superhero or with the few exceptions that I'll go on to list. The majority of their books are the characters reacting to the Marvel Universe as if the sort of the same way that people react to Superman. It's like, I have to make my point about this big metaphor, and that point is the point of my story and or book. Now, admittedly, this is couldn't be more ultra-explicit than in the first issue of Champions, where post-Civil War II, um, a bunch of disillusioned, youthful superheroes led by Ms. Marvel try to, you know, strike out on their own and create, you know, a new marketable franchise for Marvel, you know, but, but the way in which it was done, I was just like, it, it just, it, 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 not only is it again, it, sort it's of, such, it's such an amazingly cynical comic, isn't it? It It's cynical, but it's this weird, like, I mean, there's the cynicism of it, but again, it's almost like Superman. It's this idea of, uh, of, of having Superman guest star. Whenever the Marvel Universe pops up in your Marvel book, you have to react to it as if it's an idea and your character has to take a stand about it, you know? Or, you know, either that stands for it, against it, like the event has to be there. There's just this elephant in the room. And by it's I'm just tired of stories about that fucking elephant, especially when everything is just being written. So, I mean, again, I just have that weird like, OK, I've I've kind of aged out of this. And it's not it's not that that. The, I realize how much the majority of the characters in Champions aren't really characters. Like, I don't have a particular fixation. I don't have a real take on Amadeus Cho. I don't have any interest in the younger Nova. You know, I like Ms. Marvel. I like Viv. But I, even Miles Morales, which I've been meaning to read forever, I was kind of like, I can't tell, but I feel like he's being written out of character. And then... but. But the opening sequence, which is Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel getting upset at the Avengers and quitting because all they do is fight and they're not willing to fix stuff. And that's somehow embodied by Sam Wilson as Captain America saying like, oh, we can't we can't repair these things. I'm like, OK, this is bullshit. Like just kind of that weird like that's not Sam Wilson. That's not a Sam Wilson. I recognize that's not. And if it is. I don't want to read about this character. Like, and so I just exactly. That... It's it's not that that's not a Sam Wilson I don't recognize. It's that's not the Sam Wilson I recognize, and I don't want to read that version. Yeah, and, and I don't want to be read fair. That version. 
I don't think it's the Sam Wilson that's in the Sam Wilson comic. Uh, which is kind of a which is which is a relief, and I would hope so. But also, part of me is also kind of. But I don't know how to describe it. Like, there's just uh, okay. Like earlier today, one of the other things that I read was a uh, Marvel team up uh, issue thirty two. Which is the Human Torch and Son of Satan versus uh, a, a demonically possessed White Wingfoot and his tribe, and it oh, is no. <laughs> uh, it it is hard hitting horror as only Sal Basima and Vince Coletta can draw it, and only <laughs> as Jerry Conway, who's got a check to cash, can uh, write it. It is it is it is bad. It's completely My favorite disposable. part of that was the pause before write. <laughs> Got it. Right. Sure. Let's call it a right. And yeah, exactly. But you know, I did have this weird thing of, because I've been reading all these other issues of Son of Satan, which were not written by Jerry Conway. Uh, I'm like, I, like, I don't think White Wingfoot and his tribe make off especially well. To be fair, White Wingfoot is possessed by a demon most of the time, so he's running around speaking in rhymes, which is hilarious if that was, you know, a thing that Jack Kirby's demon did back then, which he did not. But it, but it's just, it's a shit comic, but I have to say all the characters are co- completely consistent with how they've been written before and up to that point. And maybe that's not a difficult achievement when all of your characters are at best one and a half dimensions. But I really had myself being like, you know, there's Johnny Storm. Johnny's being Johnny. Like the hardest thing, the most out of character that people get is they come up with reasons as to why, like for him, he's like, I'm going to look into this on my own because Ben's too busy um, thinking about his own stuff and Reed and Sue would buy into this, you know, would like put it down with as scientific hogwash. You know, I've got to go to a real exorcist, you know, enter guest star. And I, I it's just, I, that's as, that's as bad as it got. I mean, again, it's a terrible issue, but I was like, it's kind of consistent. I just pick up these books and I'm just kind of like, these aren't really, these, it's not for me, you know? And I don't, but it, but that comic is also just, I mean, it's kind of shit at the same time. I don't know. It's weird. It's very strange. Okay. I think somehow I was going to get around to, how did we get here? I didn't even get into my uh, best stuff. Uh, we, oh, cause we were talking about the champions and the champion, oh, we got the champions because you were bad mouthing it, but we were actually talking about Crunchyroll manga and you missing manga. And I was going to ask you a question about that. Oh, okay. which was, is there another manga app? Like, is there an alternative to Crunchyroll? There, there are several. There are several. Uh, so why haven't you signed up to them? Is that just a case of like, you don't have the time, you don't have the money, you don't have the inclination? Um, well, no let me see the the best way that i can parse it part of it is i don't i don't haven't deep dug into it i did a little bit of a lot of people who continue to ask uh in the credits in in our comments when we bring this up um i still have a subscription to shonen jump alpha because i mean it's really ridiculously cheap but i think this is going to be the year i let it go because i went all year without reading it. I know that one the entire piece, year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, holy shit. You know, I mean, it's, if I were super into one piece, it, it would totally justify itself. But I mean, I don't know. I just fell out of Tariqa. Like I said, the, the Shonen stuff 
really I, I fell out with. I just I'm just it's not my thing. The great thing for me about the Crunchyroll stuff was it was most of it was uh, Kodansha, I think, publishing. And it was just a wide range of things like Sun Ken Rock, which, you know, you've heard me rant and rave about was is basically just is just shown in. But with like um, like a thin veneer of collegiate philosophy and a lot more nudity. That's all I need. That's it, Graham. I am so shallow. I just need that extra bit of. You know, pseudo sophistication and perversity. You know what I mean? It's like, don't get me in the PG exploitation movie. Just push me over into the R exploitation movie. That's how shallow I am. But I mean, there's also other stuff like, uh, and yet the world, uh, and yet the town moves, which I adored, which is actually just character driven comedy. Um, uh, that that's just fantastic. There was just a wide range of stuff that that Crunchyroll had that I liked. Now that all that being said, Jump, which is the clearest um, alternative to it, because it's inexpensive and you get an issue every week, and and it's usually a big hearty issue. Just like I said, I aged out. From what I can tell, there was there was another. Uh, manga service that was i want to say it was like box or manga box or something like that it had various free to read manga like you could read like maybe the first six uh episodes which is maybe halfway through a first volume and then they gave you free episodes weekly and then i don't remember if the goal was to get you to purchase the in-between volumes or it was to drive you to buy those volumes in print but it was it was too much of a disparity. Crunchyroll was amazing because it really was when the damn service worked. It was all you could eat of whatever title they had. So you could do a lot of sampling and a lot of reading. Box, I did a lot of sampling. Frankly, a lot of the stuff seemed really second rate. Um, and then uh, and and then it was too difficult. To, if there was anything with promise, you just couldn't really follow up on. Which brings me to then the other alternatives are there's a number of other alt- uh, digital manga alternatives where you buy tokens and then the tokens allow you to buy volumes of manga that you can download. And I and the idea is the more um, the more you tokens you buy, you know, the bigger the bulk purchase you buy, the more volumes you can download for for what you're paying. But again, I don't, I just, I I don't trust those services. Like there was some, I think there was a former version of that service that went under and left people without their volumes, which is fine. I think in many ways I'm okay with more okay with that that now. But at the time I was like, forget it. But it was also just, it was just kind of a mess. So there, there's a lot of free manga readers and apps that you can find online. And that's the other thing is, is then you start moving into the gray. There's a huge realm of gray area apps. I don't know if there's huge, but a few of them I looked into are basically readers, you know, CBZ readers that are connect to um, various uh Torrent, not torrent sites, but but scanlation scanlation sites. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a little too much to decipher for what I do and what I want. So it kind of sucks, you know. Plus, there's just there's a real the the audience is mostly 
if they're not young, it seems like they move way too heavily into for, too heavily for my taste into some of the shoujo stuff, which unless I'm talking about, um, oh God, what's her name? This, this maybe is the other reason I'm just so relentlessly terrible about remembering the names. Uh, you know, the woman, the, the amazing woman who's like, what did I eat yesterday? Or what, what did you have? <laughs> what? Why did you eat that yesterday? Um, manga. this is completely wrong. You know, what did you eat yesterday? The manga by uh, Fumi Yoshinaga. Like, there, there's in theory, there's still volumes of that coming out. Although, uh, although I'd have to read it in print. But Fumi Yoshinaga, whose work I, I, I adore in certain contexts. I'm not a big fan of What Did You Eat Yesterday. I'm, I'm more excited by the stuff, the really amazing stuff that she's done. Um, what was it? The Flower of Life and Antique Bakery, I just thought were awesome. Anyway, but it's hard. Like, more often than not, there's a lot of that stuff that I don't necessarily enjoy. Like, the, the, there was that amazing weirdo, uh, volume of manga that was published by Vertical Press by the guy who did Blade of the Immortal that was great. And I've literally been waiting for like the last eight months to get the, the next volume of it. So, yeah, manga at the moment is really kind of a real pain and a hassle to get. Um, it's apparently a really a golden age if you want to watch anime, you know, but I, <laughs> but I, but is this I really where you don't. start talking about Yuri on ice, which every fucking person is talking about on Twitter? It, everyone is talking about Yuri on ice. Oh my God. I saw a link on it and read an article where someone was spoiled episode 10 for me. And I was like, huh. This oh, wait, a... so are, are you are you watching? No, no. I see that's it. Because what I what I find yeah. is hilarious is so many people are like, "This is the greatest thing that's ever been made," and then they describe it. I'm like, "That sounds terrible." <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, come on, Graham. I, this is that's the miracle of comics. Just about any premise sounds terrible, right? I mean, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's kind of the thing. But that being said, the description that I read, I was like, "Huh." I, if I was, in, I just, there's just something about, uh, I just, I, I don't, I just, I watch so little TV and movies when I'm, when I, when I have the free time to myself, I want to read because I don't know, because I'm, I'm weird and I don't want to be chained to my desk, you know? So, or rather, I'd rather be chained to my desk or my couch, but I just don't want to be in front of the box or the tablet or whatever. Uh, if I do, I want my wife right there. Um, speaking of which I should talk, talk to you, mention to you, uh, ha have you seen or heard of chance over on Hulu chance? Is that the Hugh Laurie show? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, Graham, I don't, I can't think of a show that would be less your thing. I have to say, why are you telling me this? Then? Well, I, I was, I was going to, I was going to ask you, have you watched the OA yet? I, I have not. The the new Netflix show. You you've heard about it, right? I I've heard I've heard that Netflix has a new show called The OA, which I always read as a Green Lantern per, person. Right, exactly. The I also was like yeah. the, the OA. Yeah, I, uh, every time. It, I've only seen the first episode. Uh, I have to pick that up because mm -hmm. I I'm apparently writing about the entire season on Monday. Wow. So I'm gonna have to find some way to watch seven hours of television tomorrow. Uh, but the first episode very much feels like. Uh, I'm trying to think of, a, think of a way of saying this without it sounding like a ripoff. It feels 
very much like an alternate take on the same ideas as Stranger Things, and not in a bad way. Hmm. If someone made the argument, or even if the show makes the argument, that this is a, like happens in the Stranger Things universe, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised at this point. Hmm. But the pilot... The pilot is nice, a bit slow, but towards the end does something that I was just like, oh, I'm going to watch the rest of the series. Hmm. Like, even if I didn't have to for work, I would like what you've just done has earned my allegiance for the next seven hours. Interesting. Uh, but it is very, uh, and I don't know why I think it's so strange things because as yet, there's only been one fantastical element and it is far more fairy tale than Stranger Things like, you know, 1980s horror movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's there's something about it. Hmm. They're like, oh, it's like modern Stranger Things. Hmm. Well, I, I, interesting. I would, uh, I, I don't know, you know, well, I may check that out. Of course, I, I actually am one of those weird few that it, uh, among the olds that seem to enjoy Stranger Things. I liked it a lot. Uh, Chance is a, is set in San Francisco and it's literally all filmed in San Francisco. And so it's incredibly fun to watch for that. Hugh Laurie plays a specialist in, I want to say, a, uh, they they mention his description several times. He is a specialist in um, brain disorders that result from head injury, and so it starts with his case surgeries. Uh, you know his various case studies throughout the the ten episodes. The show is based on a novel by Kem Nunn, uh, and it's very much a San Francisco noir novel in which this this guy uh falls in with sort of a, a patient of his who's a femme fatale type who uh is apparently a split personality who is married to a uh abusive and very crooked Oakland cop and Hugh Laurie's character who has a um obsessive he, he, he tendencies gets sucked in. he gets sucked yeah, in he, he, he lets himself yeah, get the, sucked in yeah, yeah the the, tra- the trailer the trailer gives away that much the yes. trailer is it, trailer actually i'm guessing either a lot of this happens in the very early episodes or the trailer gives away an awful lot about the show no 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 it's very much in the f- the first episode he he goes in um and a lot of it is just varying degrees of um strangeness and the thing that sucks is so the first nine episodes and it's also very the reasons why i don't think you'd necessarily like a ground i mean the san francisco setting's great hugh laurie's great uh has, has he learned to do an american accent yet or is he still doing his house voice you know his house voice is closer to an american accent than to me i mean it's better, it's, it's better than like benedict cumberbatch yeah see still. that's what i'm saying like you know honestly hugh, hugh laurie is hugh laurie's own thing what i love about hugh laurie now he comes from the state of hugh laurie he does oh he does i mean he's the hugh laurie industry and i love the fact that uh that between this and the night manager as far as i can tell the best way to hook hugh laurie is like this is a multi-part series in which you will be making out with a very attractive blonde woman he's like i'm in i'm all in what do i play no 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 don't tell me i'll figure it out later and because I was like, huh, it's him, Gretchen Maul, who's, uh, who I remember being at an actress who's at best tepid. And who knows, may still be tepid in this, but it works for her here. Um, Kem Nunn is, uh, uh, 
he ended up, I didn't realize he came in as a staff writer for Deadwood, um, and then went on to, to co-create the, um, I don't want to say reviled because that really suggests that people cared enough one way or the other, but the, um, head scratchingly received John in Cincinnati, uh, which was the, <laughs> yes, the, the, um, let's go with not as successful subsequent yes. series. Yes. Did I say John in? I think it's John from, but yeah, uh, Kem Nunn wrote his, his, uh, his first was it tapping the source is an amazing surf noir novel. And, uh, th- this is kind of a, it's, it's chance has a lot of really great, smart character choices and stylized dialogue, uh, and really paces itself in terms of like upping the tension up until literally the last episode in which it, it shits the bed with almost operatic force. So, Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh it no. Is, it's so bad. Oh, it's it's nine issues of uh, episodes of absolute absorption and really great. And then that last episode, oh they oh they screwed so bad, Graham. It's amazing. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, that what's really interesting is I was totally getting talked into it until you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I know. I was totally getting talked into it, and then you're like, "Shit's the bed so bad," and I was like, "Well, why would I sign up for something where I know they're not going to like?" Know. They're going to- Exactly. And it's really hard for me because I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not the last episode, uh, last scene of the US remake of Life on Mars bad. But I mean, it is like, they build it all to this. Oh, no, it's just, it's tough because it really is. I, it went from like episode eight or nine. I was like, oh my God, why isn't everyone talking about this show? And then I watched episode 10 and it's, it's not like um, other shows that Hulu, you know, started releasing. All you know, all in once, um, in, in binge. Yeah, Hulu, Hulu is really weird. Some of the shows are all at once, and some of the shows are weekly. Yeah, I, I think they're trying to figure out which formats work best, and or you know, for for chance because each episode was structured actually pretty well to end on a cliffhanger, even if some of the cliffhangers later turned out to be a little lame. It was like, oh my god, it was it was fun waiting for the next week, and frankly. You know, Edie, who watches sort of everything uh, or listens to it in the background while doing her work during the day, was the one who was like, hey, you should try watching this. I think you'd be into it. And at that point, we were like – it was like six episodes in. So I was able to binge the first six over the period of about a week. And then it was like – at that point, I had to wait for the last few episodes. Yeah, and you're like, god damn it. God damn it. Graham, I'm never getting to my best of list. I've yet to. Actually... Okay, yeah, let's go, let's go. Come on, guess. Okay, guest of, so, best of even. Let's get guest of, best of. I'm gonna go through the whole list D type thing, and we can pick me apart as we go. So my best in absolutely no order for the year: Unbeatable Scoregirl, uh, the uh, basically that last arc by Snyder and Capullo of Batman wrapped up in 2016, The Vision by uh, King and Gabriel Walta, uh, The Flintstones by Mark Russell and Steve Hugh, uh, a few of those individual issues of Sheriff of Babylon that I liked, uh, Southern Bastards has been delightful to read and trade, Demon by Jason Shiga has been terrific, I really enjoyed the Joe Casey Ed McGinnis issues of Spider-Man Deadpool, Hannah Blumenreich's Spidey Zine, which I should have mentioned, yeah, you're like, oh, of true. course, uh, Transformers versus G.I. Joe by Tom Scioli ended up 
uh, wrapping up in the first quarter of this year, and that was an amazing thing. Uh, the Colonel Corps by to- Tony Bedard and Tom Dernick and Trevor Scott, that amazing <laughs> KFC free issue. Uh, Superpowers by Tom Scioli, his, his two, three page follow up that's in the back of Cave Carson. Uh, two picks by, um, Brew Baker and Phillips. Uh, I, the fade out reading that in digital was actually part of what made me start subscribing to comics in digital because I enjoyed that experience so much. And I think Kill or Be Killed by Brew Baker and Phillips, which is turning into a very perverse noir reach around of a superhero comic. Um, I'm enjoying a lot of what they're doing on that a lot. I think they're figured out new ways to work together, which is good because the fade out, I don't know, certainly by the end of Fatale and then into the fade out suggested that maybe they were starting to hit a little bit of a rut. The fade out's tough for me because in a way it's almost like chance in that I adored everything up to the end and the end I was like, severely lukewarm on but it's now, did not you not have the same experience with fatal or am i imagining that no i were uh, fatal. yeah 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 fatal fatal actually i think we said the other week that we're not so sure about brubaker on his endings generally which with maybe the exception of his i don't know something like his captain america stuff but yeah i wasn't crazy about fatal honestly i mean some of his individual criminal stuff I remember liking the rap, th- thinking the wrap ups were great, but, um, yeah, it can, it can be a problem. The fade out for me is particularly rough because I felt like Brubaker was growing the stuff or it was growing organically. And I think he was thinking like, Hey, I could do a, what I did with Fatal, which is grow this longer than I thought. And I still have my ending and I can give it some resonance. And so each issue kind of seemed to get bigger and bigger and point at larger and larger stuff. I'm sure if he does listen to this, he will send me a direct message on Twitter, totally telling me I'm full of shit. But it, I just didn't like the way it wrapped up. I, it, it seemed a little too, um, perhaps this will mollify him. It reminded me of the works of Michael Chabon in that Chabon has a tendency. <laughs> I love your like, just in case he's listening. Yeah. Yeah, Shabon. it's like, he'll he's listen to that part. He's like, oh, Shaban. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I'll be okay with that. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, but let me tell you, Shaban also has this real tendency to, like, work on his... Come up with an outline, work on the material, realize at some point that he's going over and then wraps things up a, very far from where... Well, I don't know about very far, but it just doesn't... The, the ending just doesn't jive. Things things get drawn uh, up a little too soon. Uh, but killer keep be, killer be killed until it hits the ending and disappoints me. I'm tremendously enjoying. Uh, and I wanted to mention another book that sort of I'm going to call it jump on the best because I was very impressed with the oh, it's only been seven or so issues of it. Moon Knight by Jeff Lemire, Wilfredo Torres, and now Francesco Francavia and James Stucco. Um, the best of my rereads and old never reads. Um, I reread Manhunter by Goodwin and Simonson this year, and that was held up amazingly well. Elector Assassin by Miller and Sienkiewicz, interestingly enough, did not hold up as well because it's not a book that's designed. Uh, those individual issues were written before trade paperbacks really existed, and so yeah. they don't. It doesn't. It doesn't quite really read like something that 
was supposed to be collected in the format that it is now. But in terms of the stuff that still is fantastic and haunting and amazing, it still works. Mad Woman of the Sacred Heart by Alejandro Jodorowsky and Mobius. Uh, Tales of the Batman by Carmen, Carmine Infantino. Man, there's some shit in there that it blew my mind. As well as the one of the great mind blowers, uh, The Prisoner of Three Worlds from Batman 153, which I absolutely adored in its crazy high strangeness. I should have written down who did the art. I want to say Bill Finger did the story on it, though. Uh, Machine Man by Kirby and Ditko, but really the Kirby parts more than the Ditko parts. Um, Batman 10 Nights of the Beast by Jim Starlin and Jim Aparo is awesome. You and I both love it. One of the things, Graham, that you would is, not... Is this, this isn't the first time you've read it, right? No, no, no. This is, okay. this is, I reread it for... This is reread, yeah. Yeah, and I, I adored it the first time, we, which we've talked about. It's so sad that we don't even remember what we've said to each other after 230 plus episodes. But... <laughs> But there's also there's also this crazy thing about it that you would not pick up on at all. But I'm obsessed by how much it reads like a Go Go 13 comic. I don't know. Like, I'm kind of like the timing is not right at all. I don't know how Starlin could have been. As far as I know, Go Go 13 didn't start getting reprinted in the U.S. at all until the Nintendo games came out, which I want to say were like... 87 or 88, I don't know. It's one of those things where if I just looked on Joe McCulloch's blog for like five seconds, I, I would have known. But it's amazing how much the pacing of it, the choices, the storytelling choices are strangely like a Go-Go 13 story, but with Batman in it, which is, as you can imagine, just is awesome to me. Um, Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, which was an amazing thing to read right a- around the election. Um, oh, no shit. Uh, by the numbers, volumes one and two, which I mentioned last time, by Laurent Roulier, Stanislas Bartome, and Dominique Thomas, or I guess just Thomas, because there's no, uh, there's an H there. Weirdly enough, it's a four-volume complete series. Volumes three and four, which I read today, disappointing, kind of sucky, and not really complete at all. But volumes one and two are a really nifty, um sort of Linier Claire romp through American imperialism, which is topped by the absolutely amazing Fury, My War Gone By by Garth Ennis and Goran Porolov, which I read also on the cruise and I think is among the best shit that Ennis has done. Really amazing. And last time I mentioned it, you and I got in a big fight about Ennis. So, oh, no, no, no. I guess that was when I mentioned. Well, anyway, let me get to the my list of... <laughs> The most okay of 2016. I feel like you're having a fight with, like, a ghost me at this point. No! I, we had the fight, Graham. It just, we had a fight over Ennis, but it wasn't that. It was, it was in my most okay red team double tap in center mass by Greg Ennith and Craig Zermack, where you were like... You were putting that in your most okay. That's like, I think you're literally, when you get to most okay, you're literally just listing things you have read. No, 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 Graham, you are wrong. You are wrong, Graham. Here is something that everyone needs to know about me. Well, two things. One, I've never taken an Uber and I never will. But two, if I did, 
That's no one would pick to. me up. One, I've never taken an Uber. Two, I never will. That's right. And I never will. I thought that was one condensed point. But if I did, no one would pick me up ever. Because the whole idea with the Uber dudes is they have to keep their rating high. And I think it's like on a scale of four stars to like one to five stars. But of course, everyone's obsessed with getting five stars. I almost never give five stars. I never do. If anyone who follows me on Goodreads will know, like I ranked a bajillion books and the majority of them get like four out of five or I don't remember what the scale is. Maybe, you know, I just, I'm not a 10 out of 10 guy. I just don't. So the stuff that I'm talking about when I pick something that's like the best of, I'm literally talking about the best, but the most okay are books that I read and enjoy and I like them and I keep buying them and I'm enjoying them, but there are problems with them. You know, like, for example, four kids walk into a bank. I could have made the best if the publication schedule hadn't been shot to shit. And it's the same thing with uh, Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I adore did, did that once every eight months. Did an issue this year? I th- it did. It released one issue, I think. Unless I, unless I, unless that should be in my... Oh, no, you're right. It yeah. totally, because that was when we were living in the other house. Mm-hmm. It totally did release maybe even two issues. Yeah, maybe it did. I don't know. It might have been two issues within a few weeks of each other or one issue or however it worked. I love that book, but there is no way. It just doesn't... It just, if it came out every month, I'd be like, I adore this. I tell everyone to read it, you know, but as it is, it's a book that I enjoy that I almost never read that never comes out. And when I, when it does come out, I can't remember what's happened and blah, 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 you know? So like Deathstroke, Deathstroke is on my most okay list because I enjoy Deathstroke. I really do. I enjoy what Priest is doing with the characters and the subplots and the things. And he's got Priest's very cynical take on the world meshes incredibly well with uh with the with, with Deathstroke, Deathstroke yeah. you know so uh it's so it's an enjoyable book but it's not it's hard to call it great like it's eight issues in and I'm kind of like I enjoy this but it's also it also sort of suffers a little bit from priest um proclivities towards turgid Turgidity, turgidness, like just doesn't work for me. Suicide Squad, like I read issue eight of Suicide Squad. Rob Williams is doing a terrific job, more or less, bringing the 2000 AD dynamic into a DC comic. Like, right? Yeah, it's totally true. But, but by the same token, between Jim Lee needing six inkers or whatever just to turn out really kind of mediocre art and the fact that although Williams Williams is falling into a 2000 AD trap in that he is he comes up with a strong hook for each issue he comes up with a strong turn a good action sequence and just a, a brush of of characterization you know and and then sort of leaves that the heavy characterization lifting for his backup strips and yet somehow it it doesn't quite feel enough i guess like weirdly enough one of the things that sort of is not a fair complaint really to say about a suicide suicide squad book is is that it doesn't feel very the characters aren't really driving the story as much as I would like. Un- unsurprisingly, there is a premise that, you know, keeps everyone jumping through their hoops. But 
I think because of the way things are happening, like uh, uh, some characters are ciphers, other character, everyone's got their little wisecracks, you know, um, there's a lot of time with Harley Quinn on stage, which considering how much she sells, she should be. But a lot of the other characters are really kind of ciphers, you know, it, he does an amazing job, but, and I like the book, but I'm also not heavily in love with the book. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm saying. I, I, like the I agree. Book. And for what it's worth, I'm super interested to see what happens when Lee's off the book. Yeah. Which he is as of now. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Then. Yeah. It's, yeah. The next few issues are, next few issues actually Williams has a co-writer as well. Mm. It's um, Cy Spurrier is co-writing with him for the next couple of issues. Oh, okay. Which are both Justice League Suicide Squad tie-ins, oh, and Riley right. Osmo is drawing them. Oof. Yeah, so I don't know. See, that's the thing is, I also hit that stage where I'm like, oh fuck, there's a crossover. I'm not buying Justice League. I don't want to buy Justice League. So we'll see what happens. I, I might suffer I, for it. Or... I I would be very surprised if you have to buy Justice League. I think you might have to buy Justice League Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. but I don't think you'll have to buy Justice League from it. And I have to say, as someone who, as you know, loves Justice League as a comic and loves Justice League as a concept, mm-hmm. that book right now is at its weakest for, for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who stayed with it through the entire John Tron. You're right. Right, right, right. Well, I the the Hitch stuff started out strong, but then seemed to really lose steam or something. Is that how it happened? or? You know what I got in the mail the other week from DC? I got the final issue of his JLA series, mm-hmm. which was issue 9 or 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. I was finishing off the storyline from the first issue, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be done in six issues, and was, quote-unquote, plotted by Hitch, but actually done by Tony Bedard and Tom Dernick. Ooh. Mm. And two things. One, Dernick does an amazingly good Hitch impression. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things where I got maybe three or four pages into it, and I was like, this isn't Hitch. Wow. But I got that far into it. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, and two, uh, I, I honestly, from reading that issue, because I haven't read it, like, I don't think I've read it since issue four. So reading, like, issue nine or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I don't even know what they've done with the intervening issues. And the plot of this issue is basically, shit happens. <laughs> No, I forget. Is Hitch? Am I wrong? Is Hitch? Isn't Hitch writing the series? Hitch, Hitch, Hitch is with writing Bedard? Series, uh, Justice yeah. League. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Hitch he did. He followed Justice that. Up. Book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's fine, but it's only fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it has it's actually one of the most directionless and momentumless books of Rebirth, <sighs> which I feel is exactly what Justice League should not be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a Justice League book if you think, I wish we could go back to the Jerry Conway days, but it could be slightly shitter. <laughs> it's like they read my mind. I must go on to Comixology as soon as we're done podcasting. Uh, <laughs> huh. Interesting. The rest of my most okay list. Let me, let me run through this. Uh, so I mentioned Suicide Squad, which like I said, Rob Williams doing some great stuff. I am hopeful, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, it's good, but both in Deathstroke are like, mm-hmm. Patience by Dan Klaus. Uh, I remember liking, reading it, liking it, being into it with reservations. Over time, 
The things I like have faded and the reservations seem to loom in the foreground so that I look at it and be like, that book, which is amazing because I really do remember reading it and being like, oh, I think Klaus is actually. Oh, you loved it. You yeah. loved it. I know. I know. So part of me is like, hmm, then Alzheimer's. Uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank by Taylor Boss and Matthew Rosenberg. Like I mentioned, just where is it? Sun Bakery by Ray Lewis. Three issues out. I think I can't remember if it was supposed to be monthly or maybe bi monthly, but he it was it ambitious. Disappeared. As hell. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then it just didn't. And even by that third issue, he was like reprinting stuff from like his old mini comics and at one point and I was like, Okay, I mean that's fair game. But I also had that sense of like, yeah, this he got in over his head. Uh, not really a comic book, but I have to say among the most okay of 2016, it's amazing how much the video game Mar- Marvel Future Fight, the amount of time that I dumped into that game, weirdly made me super appreciative of some of the characters in Marvel Universe. And because of it, I ended up trying one of my most okay picks for this year, uh, Gwenpool by Christopher Hasing and Guri Huru, which... Parts of that I enjoy a lot. And as I was mentioning in the most okay stuff, Graham, I know you will not do this, but I think that you would actually really like the uh, unbelievable Gwenpool uh, holiday special comic. I, I, I might check out the holiday special, especially this year's. I, I've heard really good things about this one is great. Last one, last one, which was one of the first appearances of Gwenpool and I bought was Eh. This one is much improved because it has a very, very genius hook in Genius Hook, which is that um, Gwen, po- Gwen is spending Christmas in the Marvel Universe, and there's all these weird traditions, such as the fact that everyone talks about how Galactus uh, delivers presents to all the good little boys and girls, and how people sub- uh all wear hot pants for pants giving. And there's this entire strange set of holidays that she's like, really, we don't have that in my universe at all. And come to think of it, I think I was here last year and you didn't celebrate them. So as she goes on to try and find out why and what's happened, you actually get to see the other stories, including one of the stories titles, Graham is I saw Spidey kissing Galactus, the bringer of gifts by writer Ryan North and artist Nathan Stockman. That alone, I think that you would enjoy, but the war on pants giving by Carla Pacheco and Oscar, uh, Bazadula is good. And there is a happy Hydra holidays. That is a red skull Christmas story. That is, um, you'd, you'd like them all. There were, all of them had periods where I actually, well, just I, you, you do be, I I love holiday stories. Yeah. So I I think I think that's a good bet. It's I thought for a second you're going to say you should really try the unbelievable Gwenpool because I have and it it's it's fine. But like it goes no further than that. I'm like yeah, this is a comic that I can see people liking. Yeah. Again, it's among my most okay. I like it. I don't love it. I keep waiting for it to kick into the love gear. I'm like oh, I'd like parts of this so much. Why isn't it? As good as I want it to be, you know? So kind of sucks. Uh, most okay list, continuing. That one shot of Rebirth by Jeff Johns, I think that's an interesting... I like the fact that you can buy that one comic and you get, um, you get like, a metafictional apology from DC Comics and... <laughs> 
And then they put it's you kind in of the amazing. paint or not, depending <laughs> on how you feel about that ending. So it it is. It is. It's an amazing comic. And really. Can we also talk about the fact that it's six months later and they really have not picked it up yet? I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that they're, they're apparently like planning to leave it for a couple of years. Well, you made but I love like that it's. I love that it's like six months later. Uh, they've really, like, really not gone back to that well at all. You know, just Rich, Rich Johnson would love you to think otherwise, and Bleeding Cool, and will you know clickbait the hell out of his headlines. But they really haven't, and it's kind of great. Well, the thing that I think is, to me, there is no stronger argument. To to me, no, yeah, stronger argument for really how successful Rebirth has been. I think you know, quote unquote, creatively, then if the books hadn't been so strong, people would have been pissed by the bait and switch. But as it is, the fact that for the most part, people are fixated on the stories and that sort of dangling little uh, story hook is... It's forgotten for the most part. Yeah, people are like, okay, if we get around to it. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of people seem to have their interest in the books. So I think that's good. Uh, the Walking Dead is still among the most okay books. I would lie. I would be an absolute liar if I didn't say I come home with from the comic book store about once or twice a month, which means there's usually one or two issues or more of The Walking Dead. And they're usually among the first read. So... Shows you what shows you I, I shows you I have no taste. The Fix by Steve Lieber, Nick Spencer, and Ryan Hill, very very okay. Uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic <laughs> eye. Oh my first gosh! Issues. Very very okay. Well, Sounds like the greatest backhanded compliment. I know, but it's not. It's it really not. Amazingly yeah, passive aggressive. I know, I know, but it's I. It's not. It's I started out loving it. It then it moved down to the level of I really like this. I'm looking forward to the next issue. But I'm also kind of not, like, actively jonesing for it. I think back on it, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, Ditto, the first two issues of Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. I'm looking forward to issue three. Also not just kind of, you know, crazy. Red Team, Double Tap, and Center Mass. First four issues, very much enjoy it. Like it much more than the first uh, Red Team uh, miniseries. Yet, also, I'm aware, it's highly okay. Ditto... Uh, Kyle Starks, who I think is an amazing creator, Kill Them All, has a lot of uh, great sequences to it. It just didn't rock my house the way that uh, Sex Castle did. So that's my my most okay list. And then my very short list, it should be longer, but of the things that I most regret not reading in 2016, uh, Kaiju Max um, by Xander Cannon. Uh, you would love Kaiju Max. You would love Kaiju I, Max. I know. I, I have I, – I read like the first three issues and then somehow like the rest of the issues came out when I sort of fell away from comics. And then I'm kind of – again, it's caught in that weird thing where – I mean it's on my sub list and I think that's part of why I'm not reading it because if I did, I would just probably switch to digital and then be caught up by now. So – uh, Al Ewing's Ultimates, uh, which I like the first uh, two issues of and then just have not followed up on in any way, shape or form. Spider-Woman by Dennis Hopeless. And I forget the artist who is terrific. We actually had someone uh, talk about it in the comments. 
I started reading that on Marvel Unlimited, got two issues in, and then I don't remember what the fuck happened. Probably we had a Baxter building where I had to read two dozen issues of Fantastic Four, and I, I, it, all the other issues got taken out of my library. I don't know. Superman uh, by Pete Tomasi and uh, Doug Monkey. Uh, your descriptions of it always make me sound like, why the fuck aren't I reading this book? And yet I'm still not reading it. Uh, and... Uh, in the graphic novel category, uh, Tom Hart's Rosalie Lightning, which I have had on the shelf, and I'm still working up the courage to read. The outline, the online excerpt I read was among the most painful but absolutely powerful comics that I read this year. As you know, it's the graphic novel that he did about the, the death of his, his young daughter. And which like even you saying that sends shivers of yeah. I could never read that book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean don't you know, have like kids, just, just never no. gonna have kids like, and yet at the same time, yeah, it's just too maybe when my nieces uh get older and it stops being but even the stuff that I read is just um is just so heart wrenching. And it's tough because I honestly feel what I read like I had that thing of like, God, Tom Hart has written the book of the year, but I don't know if anyone can bring themselves to read it apart from like Joe McCulloch wrote it up for a comic journal uh, and just rereading what he had to say about it. I'm like, holy shit, I've got to read this book. I've had it sitting on my shelf for literally, I don't know, six months, I think, ever since it came out. And I just still can't work up the courage to read it, which just says profoundly terrible things about me as a human being, I think. But that's it, Graham McMillan. That's my list. That is that is my that is my crazy, crazy list of goods, okays, and um... there there's something coming out, uh I wanna say it's in March next year, or it might be in February. Mm -hmm. Uh the Judge Dread collection Every Empire Falls mm -hmm. which is the you may remember in the summer, I was like, oh, 2018, the magazine are doing a great storyline right now mm -hmm. with Dread in the two things. It is the entirety of that storyline, including the prequel material. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's something that I think you'll get a lot out of mm -hmm. because it's essentially one writer doing a trifecta-like structure. Mm -hmm. As in, he's telling one story and you only realize when you're halfway through the story. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you motherfucker, that's incredibly smart. You don't get the same effect, obviously, in the collection. Of course. But um, because, like, they're like, here's all the material. Uh, but the collection does make you realize he was doing this for, like, more than a year in advance. Wow. Yeah. He was laying the groundwork for this more than a year in advance. And then when he pulls the trigger, literally, and kills off Dread for essentially a month mm -hmm. of 2080s. Where there's not even a hint. I mean, you know he can't be dead because he's just dread. Right. But there's not even like a wink at the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... And instead they're just like, okay, the magazine's about Rico, who's his clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dread strip is about Hershey. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what, that's what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I know you're going somewhere, but I have no fucking idea where you're going. <laughs> and it's, it's just really great. You know, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. And the collection, because I've read it as the collected book, right. um, the collection is really worthwhile even without that surprise. Hmm. I I would love to. I found myself really for the first time in a while I, in compiling this list. People may wonder, like, I don't know, Jeff, what is wrong with you? I mean, but what, particularly as the, it relates to this list, 
I actually sit down, go through our website and look at our show notes for the entire year and, um, and look at stuff that I talked about and praised and then figured out where to, where to throw it on my, on my list. Um, oh, which is, which is why I should also mention that, uh, the mo one of the books, the special asterisk of the most glad that I read it, even though it's not really for me, uh, and gave me lots to think about is Shadow Eyes by Sophie Campbell, which I was talking about just last week. Um, but yeah, I, in the course of doing that, uh, because of some of the screen caps that I did for you, uh, for various dread stuff, I was like, man, I miss, I do miss being on that 2000 AD role. Maybe I should get back, get back on that. I, I am, uh, I am, like I'm still reading weekly, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I'm honestly getting to the point where I'm like, the collections might be the better way to do it. Uh, you know, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And yet the problem is I've had access to a couple of the collections and I just haven't, I just haven't read them. I just haven't attacked them. One of the things that was kind of great is for me was when I was subscribed to the 2000 AD through the app, uh, every, Wednesday morning or Tuesday night or whatever it was, I would get, you know, an, an alert on my iPad being like, Drock, you know, the latest issue of magazines available for download now. Or, you know, it was like, oh, great. You know, it, you know, it, it was, it, it was a great little reminder. I downloaded, it wouldn't be too much of, of an investment, you know, but honestly, there's also that thing. Part of why I remember like some of the shit in the magazine is, is that 2000 ADs, I like all the weird crap. Like I can't wait until they rerun the, the, the dirty hairy ripoff that you were talking about. And the fact oh, that one eye Jack, one eye Jack, the fact that Cy Spurrier is supposed to be doing new hook jaw stuff is, oh, I, but that's, that's not 2000 AD though. No, I know it's not, but I, how do I put it? I think of it in the same stuff, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's uh, the stuff that I love is the old weird fringy stuff Um, that sometimes, you know, that when 2000 AD is in, in a, in a good little mode, it's got a great dread strip. It's got, you know, th there was some really good strontium dog stuff that I ended up enjoying, uh, weirdly enough, you know, and then. And then the problem is trying to figure out how to avoid the Slanye strip that Pat Mills is doing, you know. Um, but but it's you know there's if then there's usually some little bit of weirdness that I end up really liking. So so that suits me, and I should get back into that because I realize now part of me is like, yeah, I should get back into that. Like, why did I? I sort of fell off. I fell behind. I wasn't well, it's reading. Really easy to fall fall behind. Well, it is because it's a with with a weekly thing. comic yeah. in, in particular, yeah. like. It's really easy to fall behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Well, and at the time, again, I was sort of like, I was reading a lot more manga, and that was coming out more weekly, and I don't know. Now I've got less competition and a little more spending cash. Maybe I'll get back on that. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, there's uh, two th I mean, 2008 is going to have a really interesting year next year. It's his 40th anniversary. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I this is me completely speculating with nothing behind it. Mm. So anyone who's like, he knows something. I yeah, really don't. I'm like, yeah, even I was like, okay, Graham, go. No, 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 really. I, I, I really know nothing. Okay. But the fact that it's their 40th anniversary and they have bought up all the Fleetway, the Fleetway material. Yeah, the Fleetway stuff. Uh, oh, my God. I'd be super – I'd be very surprised if they don't do something else with it beyond reprints. That's kind of what I'm hoping. But, 
whether that's new material yeah. in 2008 or a new title, right. I'll be really surprised if they don't do something. Yeah. Especially because they fucking bought all the Misty material. Yeah, no, I know, which is, to me, crazy exciting too. So part of me is really hoping, because once you have that and you own it and it's set up for the same format, part of me is like, well, what I hope is is that they just start doing, like, they start they do all the stuff they're already doing for 2000 AD and then they throw in two retro strips every week, you know, and then they do a choice serial or something like that. But well, I'm also wondering if they're going to start mixing that stuff in with the uh, magazine reprints, which would make sense as well. Uh, in, in which case for me, that's also cause those, those magazine reprints were among my uh, fondest memories there, which is just, yeah, because it's just great that you yeah. get like magazine, yeah. Which is a sixty-four page magazine every month. Yeah. Plus eighty page reprint in addition. Yeah, absolutely. And it all the better if the eighty page reprint stuff is again old, weird, bad, super derivative, like he's the one armed cabbie named Cybercab or whatever the hell he's called. I don't remember. I I don't know if the Fleetway deal includes the um the eagle material from the 1980s but if it does jeff there's so much stuff in there that you'll lose your shit about oh i know i know I've they've got a six million dollar man ripoff called manix oh uh manix really wait what was it why did i think who's the uh, one with the mach all, one aren't you talking about mach one which really? is 2000 Shit, I didn't realize there were two six million dollar yeah, man ripoffs are. oh my god i'm so uh, into this right off the bat there's doom lord Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Alan Grant and John Wagner doing originally a photo strip and then it becomes just a, a straight up comic strip about an alien who comes to Earth to kill everyone. And in the first series, tries to kill everyone. And then in the second series, he sends a replacement Doom Lord who's like, no, I'm, I, I like Earth. I'm going to keep them alive and fights other alien threats to Earth with his magic disintegrator ring. <laughs> which is, is as great as it sounds. I mean, genuinely great stuff. Um, the One-Eyed Jack if it was reprinted in Eagle. Right. Uh, there's just there was like sh- a lot of great stuff. In its photo strip days in particular, it was filled with terrible things. Joe Soap, who was like a bad luck private eye. Or Sergeant Streetwise, who was a male model turned policeman. Like, things like that. I uh, Wow, that's great. But yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like it's amazing. We must have, and who, who knows, because we only host the show, we clearly don't remember it. I don't know if we've ever talked about the incredibly um, lack of interest I have in Fumetti, you know? Like Fumetti, just, it's, it's all it's all terrible. It's always terrible. It's always all terrible. And what's amazing to me is how it's such a tradition up to a certain point, and then it just really dies off, you know, um, gratefully. But I mean, like you can look at weirdo like Robert R. Crumbs. Like, yeah, I've got to do some Fumetti in there. You know, uh, it's it's like a cornerstone of Terry Gilliam's uh, help. Was he working on help? Shit. Uh, you know, the post Kurtzman. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the Kurtzman's like, what? It wasn't called help, was it? Help, hap, hup. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, shit. I don't know. Come on, I'm looking up Gilliam Kurtzman. Yeah. Uh, and? come on. Help. It was called help. You're hey, right. there we go. And, uh, um, you know, of course, the Italians, they love the fumetti. <laughs> 
can't believe I tried oh, to talk like Mario. <laughs> like, I know. Hey, I'm going to engage in a hateful stereotype. Hey, 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 they love the Fanetti. I'm sorry for the offensiveness. <laughs> I love how I tried to fan in there. Uh, we should do more accents more often. We really should. We've really missed our, our calling in like bad ethnic comedy that always just ends up being horrific Transylvanian slurs thanks to how poorly we thanks do this. Thanks to our inability to do accents. I remember when I was trying to – I don't remember if it was my Scottish accent or my Irish accent where you were like, oh, my God, you sound so Australian. But I was like, ah, fuck. So, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. The lack of control is uh, – yeah, oh well. I guess that would be our version of Fumetti, I guess, would be horrible ethnic um, stereotypes um, impersonations. So I'll go with that. It seemed like a stretch to bring that back around, but let's go with it. <laughs> You're like, sure, fine, as long as it gets us talking. Stop talking about both of these uncomfortable subjects. Jeff, 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 I, I have, because I'm very aware that, like, we're in the last quarter of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to ask, have you seen Star Wars, the new Star Wars? It's so funny. It was great. I was like, oh, this is the point where Graham is like, I have to ask, are we recording? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, please tell me we're recording. We are. We've been recording the whole time. Thank God. I have not seen – I have not seen Rouge One. Uh, are, are you curious about Rouge One? I, I – uh, to, to give you a Portland story because I know that's what you love. Uh, it was – it snowed like a motherfucker on Wednesday. Right. And I did not have tickets for opening night of Rogue One. Hmm. And, but the theater, as you know, is ju- literally right around the corner, like That's four right. blocks away from my house. Yeah. And, I'm, and on Thursday, it didn't snow, but it froze. And so literally you would go outside and everything was ice. Mm-hmm. Everything was ice. So I call up the theater and I'm like, has anyone canceled their tickets because it's just fucking horrific out? Mm-hmm. The woman actually laughed at me. Like, up front, straight out, laughing at me, which I thought was the greatest response. She didn't even say no. She just laughed at she me. She just laughed. That's the best. Isn't that perfect? So I saw, I saw it on the Friday. Uh, I saw it Friday at 11.30 in the morning, and the theatre was filled. Wow. Filled. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. But yeah, are you curious, or do you want to see it? You know, this is the weird thing, because I was at work, and uh, uh, one of my friends uh, who likes to tease me about my nerd proclivity is like, ah, so you got tickets already, right? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, come on. I'm like, no. He's, it's the great, like, you know those people who are like, oh, come on. you Come on, you big nerd. You're going to go see it, right? Yeah. You, I, you know what? Let's go together so I can make fun of you. You know, that kind of thing. Where exactly, yeah. Yeah, let's go. You and me, let's go. Huh? Huh? I'll pay for it. Yeah, like, really? exactly. Because you're such a slobbering nerd fanboy who needs to see it. I just can't wait to see the look on your face when you watch it, you ridiculous nerd. Come on, let's go now. Yeah, we gotta I go. I might be looking at the screen, but I'm going to be there beside you so I'll know how, what you look like. Exactly. <laughs> so I can judge you while I'm watching this movie that I need to see. Uh, so he was like, yeah, so yeah, you just seen it, right? And I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't know. No, probably not. I mean... You know, I mean, we saw we saw Force Awakens in part because it was like one of the opening movies of the Alamo Draft House, and I was like, "Shit, I want I do want to go to the Alamo Draft House and have that experience, and I want to take you along and blah blah blah." Um, Rogue, which and I enjoyed the movie, and at first I was like, "Rogue One, it just doesn't kind of seem like my thing." Like I just I, I don't even know if I saw all the trailers, but I was like, "You probably saw enough of them." I mean, there were like seventy-two million. Were there? 
I, I feel like there was at least five trailers to that film. Okay. I, I think I maybe saw one. It tops two. And I was like, I don't, the fact that I didn't even bother to look up all the other ones, I was like, I was, I'm, no, I'm just kind of not really, not really into it. So, so that being said, after people on Twitter, people whose opinions I trust were like, it's pretty good to, anywhere from it's pretty good to it's really good. I was like, okay, maybe I'll see this, you know, I, I think. What do you, what do you think? What did you think of it, Graham? Uh, the more I think about it, the less I like it, oh, which is really interesting. Huh. It's in all seriousness, it's like a Star Wars cover band. And I thought that Force Awakens was like a Star Wars cover band. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this film, the last third of which is honestly Gareth Edwards and or Tony Gil- Gilroy. Cause I'm fairly sure Tony Gilroy rewrote a lot of the last third. Really? Um, hmm. oh yes. Um, but it is someone going, I love, I love the original Star Wars. The bit where they go up against the Death Star, that's really good. I, I love Return of the Jedi when they're on the, the planet, but I don't like the Ewoks. What if I put those two things together? Mm-hmm. And that's the last third of the film. <laughs> and you're like, oh wow, I've, I've literally seen this film before. Yeah. Um... Uh, it really is, it's, um, I'm kind of fascinated by so many people saying, because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying, this is the best Star Wars since Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it's the Star Wars that puts the war into Star Wars, is my favorite. And how can anyone think that Stormtroopers are alright after this film? All of which suggests that these people have not really been paying attention in the earlier Star Wars films. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's... Uh, I say this a lot, but it's fine. It does what it wants to do. It's just that what it wants to do is not of particular interest to me. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of how I feel. I mean, the fact is, at as has been detailed here, at a certain point, I dropped off being a Star Wars fanboy really in a big way, which is weird because I went through the motions. I mean, I say that having seen all the prequels, The Force Awakens, yada, blada, blada, blada. But, you know, bought the first, whatever, 12 issues of, of Marvel's comic for that vibe, which I, I dug in the book. But I found myself, I just, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, what I, I really feel like I, it's, I'll be really curious to see where I end up in 2017. Because. You mean, I, will you go and see the, the, whatever, episodes eight? No, I just, I guess what I just, maybe, I mean, I guess I just mean I find myself like having literally sold my comic book collection, I just feel kind of less connected, less invested in all of this stuff in a weird way. Is that not healthy? I mean, I I think it is. No, 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 that's the weird part. Right, exactly. Other respect. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel that it is. I mean, it's. I mean, one, one way or the other, it's fine. I mean, that's the great thing about this stuff is it's, you know, they're fucking stories. It's like if I don't, and that's what I guess that's the thing. That's what one of the things that I sort of like about Rogue One, and it's one of the things I, I really liked about The Force Awakens is as much as the Star Wars cover band thing, it really had the feeling of people who were we want to bring Star Wars to to a new generation. And yeah, and exactly. It, we want to make a Star Wars film. Yeah, yeah. We want to make a Star. Well, and it's also kind of 
we want to make a Star Wars film and we want to have enough fan service in it that we can keep like the old paying customers, but we want new customers. You know, The Force Awakens really did have the, I'm so glad that there was like a major female character in it that wasn't just kind of, you know, Princess Leia was in a, in a zone, you know, like she was kind of yeah, no, a no, transitionary no, I, I totally that, that Rogue you know? One Rogue One has an almost offensive amount of fan service in it. Right. Right. Uh, and to the point where at one point they literally run into the dudes from the cantina. <laughs> uh like the walrus guy and his friend with the pig's face. Uh-huh. And the pig face guy gives exactly the same line. Uh of course he does. Because yeah. that's the level of fan service in this film. Like, right. to the point where you're like, oh, you've gone beyond pandering now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is some next level shit. This yeah. is not even pandering. This is, this is art at this point. And, and that, that is something where I think part of me is like, that sounds hilarious, but it also is kind of like, eh. I'm, I, I don't know. I just, like, that's clearly the part that's meant for me. And that part doesn't really matter so much to me. And who knows? Maybe I'll watch it. I'll be like, oh, these characters really speak to me and appeal to me. It's not. But I just kind of have that thing of like, it's a cycle of stories in that sense. It's going to be sort of something the way that The Force Awakens felt like a reconfigured um, Star Wars. uh, You know, if Abrams does manage to go off to manage to pull it off. But I, I just found myself, I just find myself being, yeah, I think it's healthier. I think I have, a, um, I'm feeling like I have a healthier appreciation, healthier relationship with pop culture in a way. I don't know. I, this is the problem. Even saying that, I'm like, I don't think that that's true. I mean, weirdly, like, I think that the well, relationship that I, I, I had with pop culture before was the sort of thing that people are like, oh, you're a big old nerd. But I... You know, it gave us this podcast, you know, it gave me a tremendous number of friendships and community and a lot of things that I enjoyed and a, and a real focus. And and that was great. It, it really is great. I think for me, what becomes unhealthy is that idea that once it no longer feels like a focus, trying to continue to maintain it for a variety of reasons, you know, is, is well that that's the thing is it, you know? is it not knowing when to walk away yeah i think that i think there is something like that idea of knowing when to walk away is is kind of crucial but i think the thing what i i guess what i like about it is i do like the idea of i don't have to be invested in this particular star war you know back in the day there was such um because nerd culture was so rare you really did find yourself having to stick up for it part of it was you were genuinely hungry for the material because there wasn't enough material you know oh but sure i i remember going to see the x-men film not because i wanted to see the x-men film but because i was like it's a superhero film you guys yeah exactly like hey it's a superhero film and also kind of that weird like you know like you, you know you gotta see that you gotta see peter jackson's uh Fellowship of the Rings movies, because if you don't and it fails, you're never, it's going to be waiting for another nine years exactly. just to it's see. It's your fault. Yeah, it becomes my fault. And then nine years later, it's going to be someone's shitty version of Crawl again. You know, like it's just going to be second rate fantasy pooped out by people who don't give a shit. If you don't actually, but now, of course, that those tables have wildly 
turned. I'm like, it's great. It's, it's kind of like my kids left for college, you know, pop culture is out on its, it's moved out of the house. I'm perfectly happy when it calls, but I'm also really kind of excited that I've got literally more space in my place and, um, and, uh, I don't know, life's just sort of quieter and easier. I don't give a sh- I really don't. I, it's, it's amazing to me. It's such a relief to like go on Twitter. Part of me is like, oh man, I kind of don't want this spoiled in case I do want to see it, but it's fucking awesome not have to be like, oh shit, they revealed some important spoiler and god damn it. Or the flip side, someone being like, well, you know, the number of people, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing being able to like see Rogue One the first week when you go and do it. But kind of like my friend was teasing me at work. He's like, oh, come on, you've you've totally got tickets already. And I'm like, no, I I don't. I don't care. And the great thing is, is that when people came back, they're kind of like, oh, I have to talk about it. I don't even know if they have to talk about it, but they want to share their enthusiasm. And it's great that they can do it. And it's also great that I don't really have to pay attention. So I don't know. It's, it's, it is, it's 2016 is a weird transition time for me. So that's why I really do find myself being like 2017. Hopefully it's not going to be like, you know, by our 15th podcast of the year, I'm like, Hey, I finally read a comic book. Did I tell you Jesus, you know, so <laughs> that, that'll be great because what it'll be is all you'll read to be fantastic force for the Baxter building. Yeah. And you reach point where you're like, I hate comics. Well, I do. I'm, I, part of me is bless their fucking hearts, but I am like, mm, the FF, I, I can't, I can't, man cannot live by that alone. Uh, you know, it's funny. No, no, my, no, you can't. Yeah. You just especially really, not the issue, especially not the issues we've read recently. Ooh, boy. Well, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's funny. Like I found myself today cause, okay. So the comic books that I've been reading, like the big bulk of them over the last couple of months that I've really been enjoying, you know, have been like uh, Son of Satan rerun uh, reprints, uh, or like again the Machine Man stuff. But like the Son of Satan stuff, I was rereading. Like it's it's Gerber. There's stuff that I think I was talking about that I really enjoyed. He's got the Son of Satan going up against the Legion of Nihilists, which in on paper sounds like an amazing idea but i was reading i'd gotten to the sort of the end of uh here's son of satan dealing with like you know basically fighting a demonic tarot deck which i loved as a kid and revisiting it i'm like oh man this is not really good but i'm enjoying it and i really had that thing of like geez it's tough am i just going to sort of be stuck reading like secondhand superhero comics from the 70s that don't work um Really? Hey, I, I've, as you know, I've been reading the Micronauts reprints. Yeah. Uh, not even reprints, like old Micronauts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I just, I kind of am. That may be where I end up, which some people would be like, Jeff, most of that shit is not better than the Fantastic Four comics that you just recently read. I sort of would disagree, but, um, but you know, to, to each their own. But I do find myself <laughs> well, that's, thinking. That's just it. To, to each their own. And also, uh, there's something really strange about reading Fantastic Four for Baxter Building because it feels like a chore in a way even when you enjoy it. You know, thank I, God I, I, I'm not fully there. I'm not fully there. I actually have I, found I, myself. It's like a chore sounds much harsher than I mean. Yeah, it. yeah. But I've noticed this this year that I have to read things or watch things for work. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of obligation there. 
mm-hmm. which when you're reading something or watching something that is like noticeably worse, mm-hmm. but you're doing it for quote unquote pleasure. Right. It changes your experience. Yes. Yeah, no, that is true. I mean, that is the thing. I, I, I there have been a lot of times during our Baxter building recordings where I was like, oh, God, this is going to be just a fucking nightmare. And then I sit down and read them, and next thing I know, I've whipped through, like, six issues at a go, and I found myself being like, I mostly really dig this, you know? The hardest ones, I think, really were the ones that we just read, just because they were so, you know... They were just, so off-model, and there were so many of them at once. Exactly. Just the two of those things together made it really hard. And that part is hard, too, that you're kind of like, uh, I... Given my druthers, I'd rather read... I mean, the the one thing I... I'd rather read, read anything else. Anything else. Anything else. Yeah, cool. exactly. There, there was a point this week where the only thing that I had read uh, was... I'm about 450 pages into The Fireman by uh, Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King's son, which yeah. is pertinent to mention because I, I haven't read any of his other stuff. People kept talking about how good his work is, and I couldn't I, – I tried an issue of Lock and Key, and I need to come back to it, but I just didn't like it. And all the other stuff just seemed a little too uh, whimsical, but – Kept hearing good things about the fireman, Sansel for like Kindle picked it up and it is, it's, there's, I have, I have all sorts of feelings about it that I think I should talk about when I finished up. But I did have that feeling of like, oh, well, even if somehow like work sideswipes me even more than it has over the last week and a half and I don't even get a chance to read anything before Graham and I talk, I can still talk about the fireman because it's still talking about Basically, I can talk about the book. I can talk about Stephen King novels. We can all sort of like at certain points. I'm like, shit. This is where I was realizing we do not. I have. I'm not. I'm not paying as, as much attention to our 396 hours of well, 658 hours of original content that we've brought to the world because I'm like, shit. I can't even remember how much Stephen King Graham's actually read. I know we've talked about it once or twice, but I can't. Remember, I think like he hasn't read it at all. So, huh? You well, know. that's wrong. First of all, see, there we go. So, I, but I don't know if we've ever talked about Stephen King in the podcast. I don't think we have. Let's save it, actually, because I want it as much as I'm like this is the perfect time. I'd like to talk about it once I finish the Fireman, because so far it is the Stephen Kingsiest of a book not written by Stephen King um, that I find fascinating in that regard. It's the, it's the King DNA. Am I misremembering that Joe Hill is the guy who's behind Lock and Key? The comic, he is. Or... Joe, he is, yeah. The Lock and, uh, Lock and Key and The Cape. Uh, of course, he wrote the novel Horns, which was also adapted into a movie. He wrote uh, Nosferatu and a couple of other books that seem pretty King-like. And, you know... God bless him. I read some profile of him, which was about him struggling to become a writer and dealing with the fact that his dad was Stephen King and, and the, the, the difficulties of that. And so, um, it's safe to say at least 450 pages in that Hill is leaning into the Stephen King influence on the fireman. I don't know about the rest of the stuff, but the fireman is in so many ways like, a novelistic equivalent of a girl talk album that was all Stephen King riffs. Um, but it, <laughs> it, wow. 
Yeah. Uh, and so it's, but it, but like a girl talk album, it's done very deliberately and knowingly and affectionately and smartly. Well, uh, yeah. You know? And also like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, exactly. Which is why I'm trying to convey. It's not in some ways, it's a very good thing, but it's also in, cause for myself, as someone who found like I would have nostalgia for Stephen King books and then I would pick something up and I remember trying to pick up under the dome and getting maybe 60 pages into it and just being like, Bleh. I remember trying to watch the TV show of under the dome, oh, which geez. you may remember was yeah. done with Brian K. Vaughn. Yes. Yes. Brian K. Vaughn, which boy, I would love to know the story behind that. Cause oof, there was so much stuff in there where I was just like, I know if you get some drinks in that in him, he will shit talk that. He must because hoo hoo. On the other hand, you know, maybe not. Maybe he's like, no, uh, wrong. It was the craft table was services table was amazing on Under the Dome, you know. So who knows? Uh, but Graham, what I wanted to talk about actually was me being like, yes. So I feel like I have a healthy relationship with pop culture. And meanwhile, on the internet, everyone's like 2017, the year comics will crash. So I wanted to talk oh, about that, that, that a little that, bit. Oh, is that that uh, beat story? Yes, by Todd Allen, who listens to the podcast and insisted that A, I read the story, and B, describe him as like Graham McMillan, but with a sexy Midwestern accent. So, <laughs> Wow. And also like smarter than me. And he probably has hair. And yeah, like, like me only good. Can we go with that? <laughs> Todd Allen is me. If I was not me. <laughs> there we go. I think that that is an apt description. I think that nails it. So, um, Yes. Uh, let's talk about that beat piece. What did you think? Were you just like, ah, uh, alarm and hysteria? Or I don't really quite, I, even after reading Todd's piece. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm at the alarm and hysteria, but I'm definitely at the, I, I, the first thing is really, it seems, it felt like it came out of nowhere for me because I have not heard any retailers talk about 2017 as the year everything goes bust. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, I've heard that no more than I've heard that in other years. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, there are retailers for which the next year is always the year comics goes bust. That's true. And I've not heard, I wouldn't say I've heard any increase in that. Um, his, his logic, his, his explanations all hold up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really, I'm not sure I believe, the one thing I, I disagree with is I'm not sure I believe that the, the people who leave single issue comics go on to trades. I right. think the idea of like that being a crossover market is is a false one. I think there are trade readers and I think there are single issue readers, but I'm not sure that people actually stop reading monthly so that they can read the trades. Mm-hmm. I think they might start buying from the direct market and buy digitally. Yes, I think that is it's a vast lesser. mystery. Yeah, but of it, but yeah. I don't think that necessarily people are stopping because they're going to buy trades. Yeah. Um, but I mean. The, the idea that retailers are upset that DC's comics aren't more expensive because that way they'd have a bigger cut. Sure, but if DC's comics were more expensive, they probably wouldn't be selling as many. No, I know. I mean, it, it's one of those things where literally, well, yeah. No, I, I, on the one hand, it's, it, it's tough because on the one hand, I see it as, uh, I, I think the bigger problem is one that you put your finger on. What, 
like two years ago, which is that Star Wars propped up Marvel's bottom line hugely. And in that sense, that also got passed on to the comic book market as well. In the comic, in the comments thread, as I'm sure you're aware, the ever smart John Jackson Miller, uh, Oh, I didn't, I didn't read the comments at all, so. Oh, you should. You should. Because it's an interesting mix of retailers being like, "Mm, no, or retailers being like, a lot of retailers being no, a lot of readers being like, yes, absolutely. So a lot of anecdotal evidence. And then uh, John Jackson Miller, it is John, not Joe, right? I always get it confused. No, it's John Jackson Miller, yeah. John Jackson Miller pops up in a couple of things. To note really how huge the the Marvel Star Wars line is. As you pointed out, too, well, he well, also it, said it, it would have been the number, yeah, the number three or number four publisher if it had been its own comic line. You know? Yeah, which is which is nuts. I mean, um, I mean, the, the story really is the story really for me is Marvel said a really bad 2016. Yeah, and Marvel has to sort that out. Yeah, because if Marvel doesn't, that's going to hurt everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that you know, for all our our meaning me at least and other people, maybe not you, but for all the Marvel's too powerful, the, it's this weird thing now where Marvel also can't fail because Marvel failing has really dramatic consequences for everyone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even in its weakened state, it's still a 900 pound gorilla. And depending on what happens to it, yeah, it can have dramatic repercussions in, in the marketplace. You know, and I, I saw I actually saw a lot of people responding to Todd's piece and essentially going, "Yes, let the direct market burn. That we independence will do really well." And every single time I see that, I always want to be like, "Your independence probably wouldn't exist without the direct market." No, exactly. Where it's, would yeah. they sell their comics? Yeah, exactly. Oh, digital. You know, yeah. No, I know. I totally agree. It's a weird, weird infrastructure. What I would be fascinated would, I mean, I don't know. I have some theories okay. about what Marvel do, do needs you, to change. Do yes. you think that 2017 is going to be the end of the drag market as we know it? No. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I fully expect 2017 to be the year that Marvel gets its, its, its mojo back just because that's what happens. <laughs> like, historically, Marvel has a shitty time, DC succeeds, then DC shoots itself in the foot and Marvel gets, like, its mojo back. That's just, it's, it's a pendulum pendulum i'm actually curious because it is a pendulum i'd be kind of curious to see if that really is the case like part of me would be interested if image created a funnel effect you know it's like people who got disillusioned went to you know went from marvel to dc for the new 52 when they got sick the new 52 they went to image and images titles and then without a lot of images titles like a lot of them holding up or enough of them holding up or you know people either exited the marketplace or they either came back and started the site like the cycle might be bigger and therefore um it's a slightly interconnected set of things not just such a straight you know binary sort of system and therefore there's more lag as readers process through that but I think what I would hope would be, uh, and this is the 
is the problem is is that the direct market the stores in the direct market had chances to diversify and hand sell and build a readership in in some of the in indie titles uh and hopefully that would will mitigate the effects like you you know a decade ago i feel like marvel um Shedding to readers to a certain point would mean that a certain number of stores that were barely scraping by, that were getting by only on Marvel, uh, would more or less peter out. And that would be, you know, before the presence, like now there's more image stuff, I guess. Or, I don't know, in the comments thread, there's a lot of people who are like, ah, you know, comic store, comics and game stores where the games are basically moving over to just. Uh, moving to just games and phasing out the comics because it's too mm-hmm. too mercurial. It's not as easy for them to to read the market. I guess. Um, I don't. I think. I don't think Marvel's going to get its mojo back. I really don't. Unless it. Unless it does. Kind of. It's always been too arrogant to pull a full to pull anything like the sort of um, serious kowtowing that uh, that DC did I, in the direct I market. Don't... I don't think that's true. I think the uh, the X Men relaunch is uh, as much as anything a trial balloon. I think if the X Men relaunch performs really well, we'll see that trick expanded across the line, and you'll essentially get rebirth for the Marvel line. And, and everyone wants rebirth for the Marvel line. But what's okay? This is my problem. What the fuck? Because I didn't follow these things. X. So there's a bunch of X Men titles. I mean, is that there are is all, it just that are that are all nostalgia based? Uh huh. All, all specifically nostalgia of the 1990s, right? Um, and are hey, it's going to be upbeat about being a superhero again. But why? Why do you think that that's like rebirth? I don't really see that as being like rebirth. Oh, because it, uh, because rebirth, to my mind, is explicitly nostalgic. Uh, and explicitly more optimistic than the line had been previously. I get. I guess that makes sense to me. The stuff that I think was interesting about Rebirth that helped in some ways were like D- DC literally apologized again. It's there's a metatextual oh, like, apology happening. But well, they also Rebirth. did like a literal apology. Yeah, they also did a roadshow apology. They also dropped their prices, which I do not think that Marvel has any interest in doing. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I also, I also made it returnable, which Marvel would never do. Right? Is they made them returnable, which allowed people to. So they did everything to indicate that they it, were acknowledging their mistakes. And that they were going to move things in a different direction. They were adjusting their prices. They were adjusting returnability. They made it sound like they were adjusting things within their editorial departments so that things were no longer so slapdash and haphazard. And they were going to stick to plans and give their creative teams chances, which, to be fair, is the thing one of the things that marvel sort of quote unquote had going for it for a long time in the first place you know what i mean is marvel's like we're for the most part we give our creators a lot of latitude they have to play into our marketing plans but we're not we're not yanking their chain you know there weren't any 
13th hour rewrites that were coming out of, you know, DiDio style from stuff. It was just, you know, it was just unfortunately that the corporate overseer was was in charge from from the top down. And and that's what I feel Marvel's doing. Marvel's what Marvel's X-Men and Resurrection thing. I don't they've promised they've promised things before like with the heroic age that came at the end of um after Dark Rain or whatever that was literally nothing. You know, I, it's, I, I don't know, Graham, maybe you're right and maybe everyone's excited, but I just don't think, I don't think that anyone has, I, I, I don't think I don't there's a lot of faith are in excited. I don't know if people are excited for the X-Men line. Yeah. I think the the proof will be in the, the response to the actual books mm-hmm. because the trick was really relaunch had good comics. And as I was saying at the start of the, the podcast, I wouldn't say any of them are like classics. Mm-hmm. I think DCU actually had more high quality comics than rebirth does mm-hmm. but rebirth has enough quality comics well uh and, and um like a, a better level of quality across the line well there's better quality across the line so it's it's easier to hand sell them with returnability you have more to order and then to resell you know what i mean you're not just ordering only what you can afford for the racks. Now, admittedly, some stores have to have enough um, money in the battle chest to be able to handle paying the money up up front for the books and then being able to hold out for long enough and then get the return when you ship them. Like it's it's not necessarily a perfect system, but also there's there was a discounted price. Like there was just a number of. Indicators sure, that but... I think were incredibly helpful there, and I'm not saying that everyone would flock to Marvel if if they dropped their prices. I think one of the things that Marvel has shown is is that if people want a book, they will pay four ninety nine for it. They'll, they'll oh yeah, yeah, pay more. You know, yeah. The well, one of the things I yeah. I wanted to say, like before you get to your point, I am mm-hmm. interrupting you because this might change where you're going. Right. Is don't forget that Marvel has been giving away a shit ton of free comics lately. Yeah, yeah. To retailers, like yeah. a, a metric shit ton. But they did that. You know, it, it's they've it's done things that, that people don't want. Too. Yeah, yeah see, but, and that's it. They it, th- like that's what who who wants extra copies of the third issue of Mosaic? Nobody. Right. But the, you know, Marvel can do these promotions is that they don't that that's what i'm saying of course and that's the thing marvel hasn't changed marvel doesn't think that it needs to change marvel just thinks that it needs to convince people that they're interested in changing and that and they think that that's going to be good enough and i kind of don't think that that is the case because i think the problem is is that the retailers are saying that the readers are gone. Like the retailers generally are interested in part of the reason why they put up with a lot of Marvel's bullshit is Marvel had the readers. Marvel had the people who, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were in love with the characters there. And also a lot of the store owners themselves were people who were in love with the, with the Marvel characters. But I'm fascinated by the number of people that I, I, I hate 
there's always one person in this thread who pops up and is like, oh, if only Marvel wasn't doing its artificial attempts to diversify. You know, if the only they were keeping the characters. <laughs> exactly. If, they if only Marvel had sold out the SJW. Exactly. Like, that shit drives me insane. But, you know, the weird part was, for whatever reason, this week when I read that comment, I did have a moment of Marvel has, like... Up until the 90s, you know, Marvel had new, would create new characters, you know, because you had people who were young enough or dumb enough or it was never cut and dry enough or there were incentives at various levels. People created characters, you know, I, to me, and again, this is one of my, my old saws on this podcast. It's not a surprise that Deadpool, who's one of the last new create characters created in the nineties. And admittedly that creation, like, you know, original hat should have all kinds of air quotes around it, but is one of the last original characters created is one of the most um, successful characters now because it's, it's almost as if characters really can age out and fade in relevance. And, and instead of turning around and taking a character, being able to keep, the the trademark and copyright of a character by swapping out who's underneath the mask or changing the the concept behind devil dinosaur or whatever that maybe marvel sh- and should embrace this is where i'd like to see them get so desperate they actually do start embracing some form of creator participation which honestly will probably never That's happen ne- in a never, million years never in a happen. million years and part of me is like Okay, so be it. Like, there's only so far that you can... I I feel, and people, like, it's hilarious and ridiculous for me to say this in a world that is constructed now entirely around Star Wars sequels and Transformers movies and more movies about more toys and um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is based around movie versions of characters that have been around for decades but I actually do feel like we're getting to the point where people need like Marvel's attempt to sort of lure in the new. And I, I really do. Part of me is like, I think they're committed to that. I think they're really aware, like looking at the champions, I was like, you know, characters of color in my comic book as superheroes, this would be great if it wasn't a terrible comic, you know? And, but but there is a little bit of the, like, I think it makes sense to me. You're sort of like, you can, you can do it where with Miss Marvel, where you've moved Carol Danvers on to Captain Marvel long after anyone ceased to give a shit about Captain Marvel, you know, and, you know, Miles is, is, is his own case, but I do kind of have a little bit where I'm like, I don't have any feelings for this Hulk. You know, and I, you know, maybe we would be better off if Amadeus Cho was a, was his own different, unique character, you know, or maybe not. Oh, I don't know. But I feel far. like, yeah, you know, like I think so too. And I, and, and I also feel, and weirdly enough, I feel like this puts me da- one step dangerously close to Mr. Like, uh, you SJWs, you know, Get your color out of my characters. But I I just think that in a way, in attempting to to negotiate this process 
of we're going to, you know, again, to return in a way what we were talking about a little bit with, with Rogue One, this idea of being able to provide fan service for the older uh, audience members while drawing in a new audience of younger care of, you know, young of a younger audience uh, is a bit of a tightrope act. And I see that Marvel's doing it, but I almost feel like they're doing it in a way that because of everything else that's going on, that they're doing wrong. It may be a factor for part of the shed is, you know, is that people who are like, I wanted my old characters. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's very strange. Cause like, I do miss the old characters. Mm-hmm. I, I do, you know, as much as I like, uh, all new Wolverine. And I think all new Wolverine is a super great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 in a, one of those weird things where like, it's a much better book than it's a character. Mm-hmm. It's a book that survives because Tom Taylor is, is really going all out and just making a very charming character out, right. out of uh, Laura, who is not an inherently interesting character in herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I miss the old Wolverine. But at the same time, right. the Wolverine I miss hasn't been around in 30 years. Right. And I think that's you know? the other thing that is kind of weird is I feel at a certain point, the illusion of change you do get tired of it. You do get tired of the illusion of it. You know, you, you ultimately you're just like, I don't, I don't need my, um, my status quo to stay static. Uh, that's not the reason why some of, a lot of us got into to superhero comics in the first place, but that sort of acknowledgement, like, well, of course, nothing's going to change because nothing really is going to change because they're not, it's they're not they're not characters they're 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 corporate IP you know it just it is that thing of at a certain point you're like well yes of course it's just naive or whatever but you're just ultimately like again the Peter Parker the Peter Parker that I care about I don't know who that character is anymore but the weird part is at a certain point that character ceased to age you know and therefore and I'm not saying I think the kids should have their Peter Parker that they want. But the fact is, is I don't think the kids may necessarily want Peter Parker. Like he may not speak to people in a way that really matters to anyone. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or that really in order to make that happen has to be, um, much more reinvented than, than, the corporate masters are going to feel comfortable with. Meanwhile, the comic book that I can't even imagine the comic book that we would have read, we would be reading if one more day hadn't happened and Spider-Man had just been continued to sort of inch along in some, like, you know, like I just, I, I, part of me is like, I, we might not have to imagine that because that might be coming along. Don't forget like DC undid undoing Superman's marriage. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Spider-Man has Renew Your Vows, which is the, like, alternate world Spider-Man who is just, like, the real Spider-Man before they undid his ma- marriage. Right. Like, and that's a comic now. Yeah, yeah, no, and that and that sort of stuff at some point may work for me. But, I mean, again, but that just sort of recaptures the olds, you know? At the same time, I guess what I'm saying is, is for the people who are younger, 
I don't know. I mean, sometimes I do wonder if what people are seeing that, that it has the retailers up in the flurry is just people like me who are kind of aging out and there weren't as many people as new readers that they were able to bring in and keep in as long. And so there's just kind of this contraction. The, the fact, I think it was just a throwaway line in Todd's story, but I think they talked about retailers dying and no one fucking opening a store after the retailer died. You know, like those guys are not young and Christ knows they don't, a lot of them don't really, um, I mean, take know, care of themselves. <laughs> I was going to say, this is America. Like, clearly, we, you know, we don't, we don't value the health of people who are just scraping by. So, you know, um, but yeah, they don't. Some of them don't really take care of themselves. But then again, it's America. So I don't know. Um, I feel like there was. We were doing a really good job of being very peppy and upbeat and I wanted to bring this in and I was kind of like, Oh, but there's a silver lining, but um, I'll just leave it to you, Graham, to find it. Cause you're good about that sort of stuff. So go. 2016, the year of hell is almost over, Jeff. There's your silver lining right fucking there. You know, uh, okay. Yeah. Here's, here's another silver lining. Sure. Comic industry is not going to collapse next year. No, it's I don't. It's just not. Yeah. Co- the comics industry is never going to collapse in the way that people keep saying it's going to collapse. That's true. It will change. Yes. It will, it will morph. But it's never going to collapse. And comic book, comic books as a medium is mm-hmm. never going to go away. Yeah. I, well, that is true. That is true. Yeah. I, and honestly, again, I mentioned a thing that I, I feel was a context. When you look at stuff like in San Francisco, oh boy, like rents are insane here and for businesses. And unless you have, Either you own your own space or you're in a space where you have a, um, you know, an indifferent or sympathetic landlord in the, the right way. You know, I, we were walking down Valencia Street earlier today, which was a is a huge was kind of the strip like it was the strip that a lot of us old time San Franciscans pointed to to be like, what the hell is happening to our city? Because it was a bunch of funky old junk, you know, in shops behind glass, big bookstores, some of which were run by pinkos, you know, crazy ass places of antiques and junk, little tucked away restaurants. And then suddenly it became places, oh, video stores, video stores were a thing. Uh, and then now it's just, then it went through a period where it was places where you bought like super high end hoodies and where you had crazy, like super high end chocolate, you know, and super high end restaurants and super high end wine bars because the rents were insane and people were making money and therefore all the rents were going up. And now it's to the point where there were just so many closed shops, so many shop fronts where places had just closed up and no one can afford the rents to move in. And so it's a weird high end ghost strip. I mean, not entirely, but so much more than the last time I was on the strip paying attention at all. And I do think that that, I feel like there's a whole problem with work in America that of course has been talked about and we don't really need to delve into it any length, but the fact I was, is, I was going to say, this is you trying to find the silver lining. Well, no, actually, 
no, this is me being like, well, this might be one more problem is, is that I possibly what may happen is, is that comics may end up being a good thing for places out in the middle of nowhere now. I mean, where the rents are crazily low and if you can get the interest, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I almost feel like things have flipped because weirdly enough, I feel like out in the middle of nowhere, people used to not care about comics because you'd have a few people that knew, but you know, I don't know. Maybe not. Cause again, the, the comments are filled with people being like, I don't know how anyone can, you know, uh, compete with DCBS.com or whatever, where they get their 40% discount and they get their comics mailed to them and bagged and boarded, et cetera, et cetera. So no, I think the silver lining that you have is the right one. The comics industry is, is, going to be there and of course comics the actual creative medium which has more people doing amazing work in it than i think at any time is uh, here in north america anyway is going to continue to that's going to continue to accelerate whether or not people are going to be able to make a living at it or a good living at it that's 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 i guess well, yeah, that's, for that's time part of the thing like that's part of the unsilver lining yeah. because think about it Hannah Blumenreich's stuff we will both like agree is some of the best material out there we've seen this year yeah like Hannah, Hannah's stuff is just amazing mm-hmm. and Hannah can't support herself doing that well I mean uh, not now I mean maybe maybe never I mean, ho- but you know next year hopefully yeah. very soon yeah but hopefully right very soon yeah. you know, you know I mean like yeah. that, there's something, there's something sad about that. I was listening to an interview with, shit, who was it? It was like a comic writer who was doing work at Marvel or DC right now. I totally can't remember who it is. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, I read being like, yeah, comics pay shit. And so yes. I always have to do something else. And this is someone who's working for Marvel or DC. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And that's it. The, the rates that they pay for a lot of people are garbage, but it, but to me, I guess what I'm saying is, is that when I was like, yeah, hopefully, you know, my hope is, is that we can get someone is that, that Hannah is going to get to the point where her Patreon is paying her enough to live to create whatever the fuck that she wants. Sort of the same way that you have someone like Erica Moen, who's being, who gets $1,600 per comic, you know, or some of the other comic people that I like, you know, who if they're, you know, but I think it's, I think that is also starting to get more and more difficult for people to break through on. So, yeah, Yeah, I think it is. There needs to be, I mean, there needs to be a a massive change in almost everything. Uh, One of the things I found, and this isn't comics, but it's related to what we're talking about. One of the things I found really, um, disheartening mm-hmm. since the election is almost all of my news sources ha- adding, uh, please give us money. Yes. Uh, thing at the end of articles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy, like, and that's really recent that mm-hmm. everyone's done. Yeah. And it's just like, there's no money anywhere, is there? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that's the, that is the big worry that we, that, that we've both had for years, which is that, Content continues to be devalued more and more by every, in just about every industry. No, people are having a harder time figuring out how the fuck do I make a living at this? 
for whatever reason. Maybe it's because fiscal resources are spread out so thin for people. Maybe, that, you know, for the people who are um, buying stuff, whether it's, you know, the whole realm of like ad revenue, just no, which was such a successful revenue model for so many people. I don't know. You know, it, I'm not, I'm not quite sure where and how all those problems are like, but every industry, I mean, again, this is, this was my old saw, like com comics has been terrific. You know, the comics industry was well ahead of the rest of the world in exploiting its workforce. And it feels like the rest of the world is, is catching up with comics and that's not yay. Right. Again, I'm like, again, Jeff silver lining. I'm like, sure. If Jeff knows what silver linings are anymore at this point, um, I think it's going to be hard. Like you said, Hannah Blumenreich, I worry, uh, I worry about Hannah, you know? And yet at the same time, part of me is also like, Oh, she's so crazily funny and talented that it's only a matter of time before something hits for her. You want to say, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just one of those, like, I wish we were in charge of publishing. We'd run <laughs> into grounds quicker, but we'd, help good people get money first right right no i mean that that is that is that thing i just oh, mick so yeah graham we need to we need to wrap this up we ran a little long i feel like i feel like we did i feel i feel like we're cruising into like a, a an ending and then we swerved out of it we pulled I out know. of it i think minutes. that was me and i feel like i swerved us into like depressing territory i sort of wanted to talk about that article because it just seemed i mean you know of course todd was like hey you're gonna mention it right but i also feel like it was it seemed like it was kind of um if nothing else for myself like you said i kind of hadn't heard a lot of stuff of retailers being like oh yeah things are bad but you know, like bad enough that there's going to be a bunch of stores going out of business. But on the other hand, I haven't been at the store drinking with Brian Hibbs and, you know, catching up with him. And Brian's, you know, is pretty good about separating his fortune, you know, not lumping his fortunes in with the rest of the industry, but also being aware of what other retailers are saying and doing and what the world is like for them as well as him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so. who knows? Maybe 2017 will surprise us all by ending all comics as we know it. In which case, <laughs> we're going to turn this into a Great British Bake Off podcast, uh, which oh, will involve Jeff, Jeff having to watch the show, first of all. Um, it would be also, great if we turned it into a TV podcast where it was like the Harvey... De it was, it's like Two-Face. Two-Face TV. Half of it is me, you making me watch a show I don't want to watch so that we can review it, and me making you watch a show you don't want to watch so you can review it. Um, you know what's really sad? What? I don't know if either of us could carve out enough time weekly to do that. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. If I, you're right. Could we? I. Mm. Let's hope the <laughs> comics industry tragic. sticks around. I know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I think if we just did a one, two hour podcast where it's like you and I talked about the great British bake off and then I made you watch chance or national. Oh my God. Okay. Jeff, 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 Jeff. Yes. One of the January podcasts, we should do that. What's that? Really? Okay. Well, yeah, we yeah, totally should. Um, not the first one because the first one should be a Baxter building, right? Uh, when I we come back, correct. Yes, I think it's the Baxter building. But the one after that, um, 
I will I will get you a link to the Great British Bake Off, and you have to decide whether it's Nashville or Chance. Okay. Wait. I was going to be like, but we just watched one episode. But you're saying like we got to watch the whole like. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm saying just one episode. Okay, that sounds great to me. I'm down with that. Let us the 2017. This is our silver lining. The 2017 Two Face TV Challenge has begun, sir. Exactly. Um, It's on. It is on. Oh dear. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. I'm going to smurf us back out of that one as well by saying um, we are all over the internet as ever, people. We're going to have show notes on weightwalkpodcasts.com where you can also find Matt Terrell writing about comics because he, thank God, keeps us afloat. Um, We are also on Tumblr, weightwalkpods.tumblr.com where you'll find just random images, random things that I'm putting up on there. And occasionally, Jeff, but you haven't really been Tumblring for a while, Jeff. It's tough. I want, I've taken a couple of screenshots. I've literally, between, work has been such a... Ball you, yeah, you, you've, yeah. I know you've had your ass kicked by work lately, so yeah. Really yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe soon, maybe soon. I, we'll I'm, see. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping things will slow down between now and the end of the year, so keep an eye out, people. I've got some But that's waitwatchpods.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter at waitwatchpodcasts. Jeff's on Twitter solo at lazybastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. When I say Patreon, Jeff Lester gets all excited, does a little shimmy, and says... The worst part is I knew somehow you were like, gets all excited. I'm like, he's going to mention me doing a tiny dance of some sort. He's going to mention me (laughs) dancing or maybe shuffling. Yeah, I was very impressed you actually went that way. Uh, Yeah, I do get very excited, Graham, because honestly, the kindness and the generosity of a really wonderful group of people uh, makes this whole thing possible. If it wasn't for them, we would not be doing the podcast. Well, because of them, we we started the Baxter Building podcast, which is you and I reading uh, the first four, I thought 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. Uh, but you told me differently last time, isn't it? Is it more? Four fourteen, isn't it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I went with four sixteen because four squared is sixteen. So I'm like, how lovely is that? That's got to be it. But oh my god, yeah. it, it's four sixteen. It's it is. Oh, last thanks. issue is is issue four hundred sixteen. But we're also doing annuals, so there's that. That's true. There is there is the you just never know what we're going to throw at you at the Baxter Building, except it will be Fantastic Four related, and there may be a slight undercurrent of suffering more often than not. So um, it's it's worth it, uh, and that is due to like I said, our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including the kind crew at. American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, we're especially indebted uh, to their continuing support of this podcast. And of course, Empress Audrey has still managed not to crush the cosmos in her celestial paw, which, considering the way 2016 has gone... Uh, I mean, there, there are there is a week left. So. That, that is true. That is true. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say too soon. Hasn't done it yet, but, um, but yes, holy cow. Holy cow. We Thank you so much, hope. people. Yeah, we can, but oh, right, exactly. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, this is where I uh, thank all of you for listening mm-hmm. uh, for this year and however long you've been listening. Maybe you only joined us recently. Maybe you've been listening for years. Either way, thank you very much. 2016 has been a wacky-ass year 
on so many levels. So many uh, levels. even just on a practical level, there was like the what was that? Three months that I was not even in in my house. Yes, I had to record in someone else's basement. Um, yeah, it's it's been wacky this year, and I think some of that has bled through to the podcast. I think the podcast has had its own wackiness at various times, yes. but it, it really means a lot to both of us that, that you guys have been listening and have been leaving comments and have been talking to us on Twitter and email, uh, and and definitely supporting the Patreon. And so, thank you very much. And I hope and I believe Jeff will join me in this uh, that whatever your holiday of choice is and whatever your holiday festivals and traditions are that you have a very very wonderful one we will be back 2017 uh, doing the same old same old as the kids say (laughs) Uh, we'll be back uh, in early January with the new Baxter building and then apparently Jeff and I are going to watch each other's television shows so weird things ahead people but until then Happy holidays. And bye! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even do it. I uh, couldn't even do it. Bye! There you go. Bye.